ti. Yeah, there it is. When that robot comes in, you know it's time to begin. And wherever you are, whenever you are, and however you happen to be listening, we're so glad you've chosen to tune in to ELC. Especially if you're one of our geeks in sneaks using this podcast to power you through a workout or a run. Or hey, maybe you are in your car in traffic, commuting. We're going to try to help you out by being in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes of gaming goodness because DLC is your downloadable conversation for the week delivered the way we love it to be. And that is completely free thanks to our patrons who make it possible over at patreon.com slash DLC pod. These amazing people, these heroes, our bosses. They make the show possible by supporting us. And in exchange, they get some cool stuff, including ad-free versions of the show, video versions of the show on demand, and a bevy of fine content, content that is exclusive to patrons, including Feeling This on Feeling This Fridays, where Christian Spicer and Alex Sulman talk about the feelings behind video games and all the cool little modes and Things maybe you don't think about, maybe you take for granted. An awesome show. Two full seasons available for you if you want to become a patron. Plus, you get the audio version of the DLC Book Club, where Landon Bashinsky and I talk about the Malazan Books of the Fallen. So much fun. Check it out. Also, if you are a Cool Ranch-level patron, you get the Wacky Wednesday show, the fun times, the craziness, the intensity. That is paid DLC Every single week. Just for supporting the show over at patreon.com slash DLC pod. And we appreciate it. But the main show, this show, DLC, this is the show all about games in the many forms. Games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles. Also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff Kanata. That's spelled with two N's and one T. And I am joined, as always, by my friend slash co-host slash nemesis. The guy who doesn't like Beetlejuice that much, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. I blame it on the excitement of Beetlejuice, Jeff. I will be from now on anything I do. If my kids get in trouble at school, as long as they blame it on the excitement of Beetlejuice, I'll be like, got to give it to you. I can't. Can't um, that. We are recording early, not early as in the day, earlier day than which we record. Earlier as in my family is still asleep. Yeah. So if I stumble over words, it is because of the excitement of Beetlejuice. <laughs> well, Christian wanted to go to his child's recital tonight. And you know what? You have Dude. to do certain sacrifices if you want to make that happen. You got you to gotta wake up at the early wee hours and talk about video games. This is what well, it they works. are doing Beetlejuice tonight. So we are excited. To see well, everybody it. seems very excited. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, it is early. My, my mouth is barely working. But l- listen to this. We have... So much stuff to talk about. I genuinely, this happens every once in a while, but I think this week might be one of the most intense examples of it. I genuinely don't know how we're going to fit it all into this show. There is so much to talk about. We've got a Nintendo Direct. We've got a Sony State of Play. We've got some of the biggest news in gaming right now. An entire engine has just fallen off the cliff. There's games to talk about, but we are lucky because we have one of our favorite guests to do it with. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian. But this week, 
Oh, I'm excited. Because DLC stands for Danish, that lengthy content. Because we have the man whose name has become (laughs) synonymous with giving yourself permission to stop playing a game. Formerly of Respawn Entertainment, new art director at Bit Reactor, our friend Danish Syed is back with us. Hey, Danish, how are you? Oh, you're muted. Sorry about that. Uh, it's been so long. I don't know how to operate mics anymore. Um, <laughs> it's been like, uh, I think, almost three years since I've been on the main show. Um, but I've been on the paid DLC a couple times, which has been amazing. But it's, yes. so, it's so exciting to be back. Um, thank you guys for having me. Uh, love having you. It's been awesome having you on paid DLC. But we got to get the, the main folks a little, uh, a little Danish. Uh, and you, it's a big time for you because uh as i mentioned you are now art director at bit reactor and working on a uh cool project that you can't talk about but kind of can a little bit like yeah, very well, exciting very very exciting i mean it's it's been announced uh that respawn entertainment has been partnering with uh, a new studio called bit reactor on a star wars strategy game and so that's something that uh i will be i've joined them now as art director and it's gonna it's it's like a dream job. It's incredible uh, the stuff they're doing over there. So yeah, can't say much about it, but it is so awesome. Well, congratulations, firstly, and uh, second. I mean, I know you you put a lot of uh, your uh, your talent and heart into uh, Jedi Survivor, a game that Christian and I both loved, and to move on to this new Star Wars project. I am so excited to see what comes of it, uh, and I can't wait until you can tell us more about it. But man, that's really cool and. A, an amazing move for you. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, I can't All wait. Right. I, yeah, you can't talk about it. Can't talk about it. Much more, <laughs> we're, we're excited. Production pause. I mean, I'm not going to stop recording. Uh, oh, I'm actually, I'm not recording at all. That's funny. I'll have to pull this from the stream. Oh, Jeff, your mic sounds a little quieter than normal to me. I don't know, Danish, if you're picking that up a little like bit. My level versus Jeff's level. Yeah. I don't know if you changed anything or not. I imagine Zencaster will pick pick it up and balance it, but I didn't want to not say it. Uh, How about now? <laughs> Keep, keep, keep. Talk, talk, talk. Jeff, Jeff, Jeff. Hello, hello, hello. It seems about the same. How about now? Better? One more? How about now? Can you hear me? I can hear you. Yeah, it's still a little quiet. I, I have faith that, like, I'm not hearing echo. I'm not hearing reverb. I'm not, it's clean. It just seems a little quieter right, f- than you normally. I'll figure it out in okay. post. I just wanted to. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate it. All right. Um. All right. All right, like I said, we got so much to get into, so let's get right to it and start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week, it's the Story of the Week. Story of the Week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happen in the world of games this week. You can always submit stories for our consideration by sending us an email to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. Or hanging out in one of our communities. We've got a subreddit that's 5x5dlc.reddit.com and a Discord. It's always popping. Good folks having good conversations over there on the Discord. That's also 5x5dlc on Discord. Hang out. You don't even need to be a patron to be in the Discord. You can hang out, conversate, talk about the show, talk about games, and all sorts of other cool stuff. But Danish, you are our guest. So you get first pick of stories. And my goodness, there's so much to talk about. What would you consider to be your story of the week? Oh man. Yeah. There's uh we're going to get to all these, I assume. Um, 
by some we'll shenanigans. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I have to go with the Sony State of Play because I just want to talk about Baby Steps. <laughs> As, uh, no. What a revelation that first game was. Now, Sony had a state of play, showed off a bunch of games, lots of new footage for uh, for Final Fantasy VII Rebirth, uh, a new trailer for Spider-Man 2, which I know we're going to talk about a little bit in uh, what we've been playing the on the playlist because Christian got a little uh, hands-on early for that game. Very excited. Uh, there was, um, you know, some interesting games shown here and there, new uh, Avatar Frontiers of Pandora story trailer, uh, Resident Evil 4, some even some PSVR 2 stuff. But the thing kicked off, as Danish mentioned, uh, a game that I was not aware of. I don't know if we'd heard about it before, but I was not aware of, uh, called Baby Steps. Uh, that, uh, you know, when Death Stranding came out, I said, this should start an entire new genre. And it hasn't until maybe now. Because Baby Steps looks like it could be uh, the Death Stranding subgenre of walking simulators. I will say, I, I mean, I slightly disagree with that because I think Quop <laughs> barely walked so that Death Stranding could uh, run. No, uh, I have been a fan of Bennett Foddy for 15 years. Quop, his sort of flash game about a uh, you know sprint or sprinter, yeah. came out in 2008. And I absolutely loved it. It was a physics-based kind of walking sim where you're this like runner uh, in the Olympics or some, you know, big event. And there's, you know, not much of a story, but it does a great job of setting up this great punchline where it's like, you're representing your country. There's never been in the Olympics before. It's all down to you. You're going to show them what you got. And then you can barely function (laughs) because it's like, you know, Q W O P on the keyboard co-op are the controls. And uh, one of them are for like your uh, like leg muscles and things. And so, you are barely trying to, uh, through physics, manipulate this character and go forward. And it's hilarious. It's hilarious. You kind of topple over and you can't even stand up straight. And I just love this mechanic. And in fact, I think I kind of think Quop was the first to do this. And and, and many games since then have uh, kind of tried this uh, hard to control being the fun mechanic. Yeah. including like Octodad yeah. and um, that one robot game from Ubisoft where you're climbing the vines. Yes, um, uh, get get a grip. Something yeah, like or uh, get yeah, exactly. Get up or get grip. Yeah. Um, and then Benefati oh also followed that up with uh, another amazing game called GURP, which is about a mountain climber. And so he's been doing this stuff. And I think it was uh, was he the one who did the um, oh man, uh, the one with the, the guy in the big bowl with a stick, uh, getting over it. That, oh that was yeah, him too right? Was that him? Uh, I think it might have been. But anyway, getting over it. Uh, so. I didn't know it was, this was him. I didn't know it was coming. Like you said, it wasn't really kind of, this was yes. the premiere, I, I believe. But as soon as it started, wa- as soon as it started happening and I'm like, Oh, this is, this is a, be- this is like that genre, which I love that genre. It's so fun to me. And, uh, and you, you kind of like the humor of it. it they've always been really funny, but I loved the constant internal monologue of yeah. this guy. Like, okay. Just gonna take a step though. Oh, that's a big one. You know, it's like kind of like <laughs> muttering along. And then when he meets up with this person and they're kind of talking to each other, it, it reminded me of uh, auntie Donna a lot oh, yeah. of like the way they're kind of back and forth, repeating each other over and over again. Like, ah, oh, I just love it. And you know, respect to Sony for you. You have the eyes of the world on you. It's like a, your big event. You're going to show off Spider-Man, all these things. And you start with this. It, it was just a masterstroke, and uh, this is one of my most anticipated games. 
uh, of the year. Yeah, it, it it really was very funny, very smart. It, it starts in just this cold open, like we don't get anything. Just this guy in this, you know, weird sort of full length pajamas <laughs> in the mud, sloshing around, like can't walking with this weird knees high knees cadence that just doesn't isn't gonna work falling on his face uh and then you're right the uh the like classic video game character who hops in is like i just use your grappling hook and he's like grappling hook grappling hook grappling hook that i definitely have somewhere on my body even though i'm wearing just this pajamas so funny the best, uh, yeah. single best uh, video game narration since Bastion. You know, it's like <laughs> I just I love that. It's just I hope that they kind of keep that go- going. And yeah, it's, it's so great. Agreed, agreed. Yeah, this game. We I, I don't think we saw any kind of indication as to when it's coming out, but uh, it certainly yeah. it certainly rocketed to the top of my uh, awareness list. Uh, I mean, if it's delayed, they have plenty of jokes with their own game to explain yeah. why it's delayed. You know, like yeah. they never, <laughs> sorry, we're a little slow getting to our release date, whatever it needs to be. Like they'll, they'll yeah. be able to get there. It's funny too, you, you, you know, they show this lengthy trailer and it, it really only is like 10 feet of game space. <laughs> you know, he's like trying <laughs> yeah. to walk 10 feet and it looks like so much fun. Uh, it did have on the bottom, not actual gameplay. So, you know, mm. that was a bit of a bummer. But uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how far out Baby Steps is and and when we get to play it. But a really cool way, I agree with Danish, that it's a, it's a really cool way to start the state of play. Uh, Christian, did you have any standouts? I know you're uh, you're chomping at the bit to talk about Spider-Man 2, as, as we all are excited uh, about that game. So having Intihar come on and kind of outline in a very, you know, it, you know, very dispassionate way uh the some some features it wasn't like here's the story of spider-man it was more like hey i'm i'm the designer here i want to step you some through some stuff about what makes this game different and what we've done to expand the world and how you get around you know it was much more uh, an analytical uh you know explanation uh anyway so i don't know if spider-man 2 is your thing or what what did you think of the state of play well, we'll we'll get. I, I, we're going to spend a lot of time with Spider Man Two. I don't think we need to spend that time right now. I will say, I think Brian. We've been fortunate to meet him and deliver cake to him back when we were he's still caking at E three. Yeah, he's great. He's been on the show. He's great. I I really enjoy him as a creator and the way he shares his passion and knowledge. And I love that he can be that analytical, break things down. But also, if you've ever been able to be in a room with him as he pitches or describes a project, it is very passionate about the things they're doing over at Insomniac. So it's it was well, fun to see that. He used to do what we did, Christian. And then, you know, he became, what do you call it? Um, oh, successful. And then... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> what I'm saying is he continues to be more successful yes. uh, and continues yes. to knock it out of the park. So I caught up on this because I was uh, playing games while this was happening. But I think the two big takeaways for me is when the Resident Evil 4 DLC separate waves is come separate ways is coming out, which is as you're listening to this this week. Um, I think that's exciting. And I also think getting that Final Fantasy 7 rebirth release date is also exciting because it's sooner than I was thinking. I know yeah. there were some leaks and teases about when it would be coming, but you know, Final Fantasy 7 continues to be this behemoth for square and i think right now there's some reporting about 16's uh final fantasy 16's um sales kind of falling off a cliff a little bit after that initial three million 
units sold and it's maybe struggling and they had to take some loss write off. So I think this is an important game, um, not only within the pantheon of games, uh, you know, this big, beautiful remake reimagining of Final Fantasy VII, but also for Square and, and maybe what Final Fantasy is as a franchise going forward. Because 16, while I love it, it did not seem to set the world on fire the way they wanted it to and have this coming out now. Was it May? Uh, of February, next year? February. Oh, February, February, February 29th, Leap Day. It's coming out on Leap Day this year. It's exclusive until May. Um, yeah, is the kind of the window. But yeah, February. Yeah, I mean, February that's 29th. So that's it. you know, it's <clears throat> it's exciting to have something to, that's coming out early part of the year. It felt like last year, February was this massive month where so many things were coming out. I haven't heard about a lot of February releases this coming, you know, 2024. So it feels like maybe Final Fantasy VII Rebirth will will be the big tentpole there and we'll have actually time to focus on it rather than a million other things, but who knows? Um, Danish, what did you make of the uh, final fantasy seven rebirth trailer? They showed a lot of the game. It seems, or, you know, a lot of sequences. It made me so happy for people who like it. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah. It's not my, not my speed. Um, I, I didn't, uh, I played, uh, the final fantasy seven remake for like, uh, 30 minutes and yeah, kind of put it down. Like, yeah, not, not my speed, uh, you know, which is unfortunate because I actually kind of was looking forward to seeing it uh, because I never played Final Fantasy seven very much. Like I just dabbled with it. And so I'm like, oh, this will be okay. This is, this will be my chance to like kind of see it fresh. And it's part of gaming history, obviously. And yeah, it didn't, didn't click with me. So, but yeah, I mean, it looks, it looks gorgeous and, and it seems like uh, it's going to really deliver. Yeah, I agree. It does look really cool. Um, and they, they're expanding that game in, so many ways it's uh it's it's pretty neat uh what what about the uh avatar frontiers of pandora trailer Did anything do anything for you danish oh yeah i think that looks really cool i mean i think that it's um it's probably not going to be breaking any new ground but it's still like a, a gorgeous world and seems really fun so i'm definitely planning on checking it out uh i will probably you know again just play for an hour or two and and move on that's as my as my thing but um but yeah it looks it looks pretty cool i can't believe that game is coming this year. Like I, yeah. I saw the trailer and I was like, "Oh my gosh, yes, that's still that's still this year." It's just a, what a wild year we're in for video game releases. Uh, Christian, did you? Uh, I, I'm I'm genuinely excited as a fan of Avatar films. Uh, you know, unabashed. I like the fact that I'll be able to be in that world. Not super excited about the fact that it's first person perspective, but I've been playing starfield so much in first person i feel like oh, I can, you know i could i could do another role-playing game in first person this could be fun um well if you don't like first person i'm curious why you don't choose third person for starfield you know that's a great question and could probably do a whole podcast yeah, on we don't it. need to get into it but I'm just yeah no you. i i have i have popped back and forth it just i guess it's because of how many hours i put into all the other bethesda games and i never did third person yeah and so it just feels well, like in a bethesda world i need to be in third per- third uh, I agree. Person. I actually completely agree with you. And and I think part of it going all the way back to Oblivion, like yeah. the third person was just never implemented like great. And so yeah. you didn't really have a reason to. So I agree. Anyway, that's I pop into it just to like look at my stuff and then I'll pop back into first person, you know. Uh but Christian, let me ask you about uh, Avatar. What do you think of it? It continues to look beautiful. I mean, those Ubisoft open world games, it is mind-blowing to me how beautiful they're able to make these these rich detailed worlds. I mean going back to was the Xbox 1 PlayStation 4 versions of um was it Ghost Recon, I forget, Wildlands, the one before Wildlands, whatever that one was. I mean, it's like you get in the helicopter 
I mean, it was doing the thing that every game kind of does now, but you get in the helicopter, you go up and you live see all of the location and then you can just zoom down to that location and go there. And Avatar seems to be continuing with that, except that it's this Avatar, you know, it's Pandora, the world. So everything is more fantastical, which I think is cool. Like that world is so lush, right? It's not like you land in a forest and there's one tree. (laughs) Well, the only thing that I think plays against them a bit, because I agree with you, the game is gorgeous. I'm like, objectively, this is gorgeous for real time, big open world game. But it's like, I'm also comparing it to Avatar (laughs) for some reason, you know, I'm I'm, the the, the close ups of the faces of the Navi. It's like, yeah, that looks great. But also, like, I saw it in the movie and the CG was much better. You, kinda... you, need to, you need to think of Avatar as being real life, right? Like, you, I know, when you yeah. play a game, it's like, oh, wow, that actor's representation <laughs> yeah. looks almost like that actor. It looks so good. And Avatar is the same thing. Like, those Na'vi in the movie, they're real. I don't care what anyone right. says. Those are real <laughs> creatures. Real to that... me. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah, I, I'm excited for that game. I, I can't believe it's coming out on December 7th. My, my only criticism, and, and Jeff, you remember this, I know, uh, the first Avatar game uh, came out, what, 15 years ago, whenever that was, yeah. uh, was in 3D and was awesome. And I played it in 3D back when 3D TVs were like just coming on and uh, coming into the market. And um, uh, I was a huge 3D TV enthusiast. Uh, yeah. all, as long as I could, I, Rip, I used it. And, RIP 3D TVs. Yeah, but like it's a shame because, I mean, that's not sustainable now. I don't think they even exist anymore. But uh, PSVR 2, come on. Make a, make a 3D uh, VR come mode for, for Avatar. Like, yeah. or, or a mode, at least. Give us exactly. something. Yeah. It's, it's Avatar. Come on. Yeah, yeah. you have to. But, but yeah, it looks, still looks cool. Uh, they did have some the PSVR game first person for that to really. Oh wait, they did. <laughs> uh, they did have some PSVR two stuff. Uh, the Resident Evil four PSVR two edition is coming in the winter. Uh, so again, this year for for that. Uh, I mean, I which is cool, but I just want non horror VR experiences, please. <laughs> I just come on, come on, Jeff. It. It's so good. You know what? Uh, it's funny. I've heard you say this a few times, and I want to point out to you that. Um, you know, the one of the greatest VR experiences of all time that you agree with was Half Life Alex, which true, and yes. the one of the best chapters of that game was the Jeff chapter, which was a horror chapter. True. So I feel like you can see what it can offer, and so like, why are you still hesitant to go through that when you know it can supply some of the best gaming that exists? Uh, I can't dispute anything you've said. Uh, I will only say that it works in Half-Life Alex because it isn't only that. Yeah. I have a break and my nerves can do other things for a little while. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> uh, but yes, I, it is cool to see Ghostbusters Rise of the Ghost Lord on uh, coming to PSVR 2 October 26th. Luckily, nothing else coming out in October, so <laughs> I will have plenty of time to focus on that game. Um, that's That looks super fun. I, super I fun. have been waiting for someone to do phasmophobia and i don't know if this is it this seems way more actiony but still that kind of competitive you against the ghosts and different tools and different classes and things but i mean again phasmophobia probably not your thing it's a horror game but uh i I would (laughs) that game is you know super independent and the graphics are very sort of like at a certain level and you can't really compare it to the visual fidelity of half-life alex but i is as far as pure experience and fun of playing, I think it's almost equal to that. It's it's so much fun to play with friends and get scared and wander around creepy asylums and man, you know, ha- haunted schools and whatever. 
Uh, and I just want and the only thing holding it back really is the sort of budget and fidelity of it. And if I can get a phasmophobia that looks like Resident Evil, like, that would be <laughs> the best game ever. And so, but but the Ghostbusters game, I I am drawn to it because at least it has that sort of uh, hook, the kind of team based taking something down hook, uh, which I think is gonna be really fun. At the end. Yeah, I love the fact that they didn't just constrain your characters into the the jumpsuits, the Ghostbusters jumpsuits. Uh, you know, it's like, oh, you could customize the name tag on your Ghostbusters outfit. No, they, they're allowing the Ghostbusters to have all these kind of wacky uh, looks. I thought was, I, I thought that was interesting. I didn't expect that from a Ghostbusters game, so that's neat. Um, so yeah, I'm excited about that. They, you know, other stuff. Uh, Ghost Runner Two looked pretty cool. Uh, Helldivers Two. I know, mean, I want. I don't. I know you, we have to. We can't <laughs> yeah. on every game, but I have to give another shout out to Ghost Ghost Runner Two. Ghost Runner was one of my favorite games the year it came out. I absolutely adored it. I ate it up. I played it. In fact, I think I played it during one of the 24-hour like extra life uh, sessions. So I was playing it from you know like 10 p.m. to like 2 a.m. or something. <laughs> and um, I loved it. And when they first announced Ghost Runner 2, I was so excited. I just love that game. And so, yeah, I got to get a special shout out to that. I cannot wait to play that. It's so, so fun. Christian, you were into Ghost Runner, weren't you? Yeah, and there's a demo out for Ghost Runner 2. I know, and I, um, I haven't played it yet, but I want to so badly, yeah. Yeah, it's it's a, it's a blast. I mean, it's brutal and difficult, but when you find the flow, you feel like a god. It's brutal, god. But that classic instant restart, just backing it, backing it, mm-hmm. and it's like, yeah. that just makes it so much better, you know? I thought a pretty solid, uh, a pretty solid Sony state of play. Um, like Danish, the big standout for me was Baby Steps, but... You know, there was a, a lot of cool stuff and a lot of known things that got a little bigger spotlight put on them. Um, so, you know, cool, cool. But that was just a small part of the news this week. Christian Spicer, what is your story of the week? Uh, it's still developing. It's been about a week and it's still ongoing and there are still news coming out and things are maybe changing. So this is going to be a partial discussion of the changes made over at Unity, which is one of the largest engines used to make games, um, specifically mobile games. Also, a lot of console games are built using Unity. Unity and Unreal Engine are you know, drive probably 90%, if not more, (laughs) of the games people play. Maybe not that high, but it is ubiquitous. And they announced changes to not even necessarily their pricing, but they have announced that they're going to start charging developers per install of games that are made using Unity. And this... Rather than a rev share, which is what they had been doing. Yes. Well, there there are still additional fees that they are charging. This isn't the only charge, but this is a new charge. And this is not only for games that decide to use Unity as their engine now. This is retroactive for games that are already out that are made using Unity. Developers, Danish, you're... Well, I don't think that's... Did you, I don't think, okay, I don't think that's coughing. accurate. The retroactive thing. Is that accurate? I my understanding is that it 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 is not retroactive, but no, well, if your game's out right now, it's not applying to downloads that have already happened. Right. But if your game's right. out right so, now, and then when this goes into effect, any new downloads yes. for your game, this will apply to. So if I've had a, a game out on Unity and you know it continues to be a hit, or I I have that streamer moment where a game pops off out of nowhere, you know, and I'm among us or something like that. And now I'm super popular. 
it doesn't matter that I made my game four years ago. Now it's popping off. I got to pay these fees that I didn't know about. As a former attorney, I'm fascinated by this for so many reasons, just in the terms of what EULA's end user license agreements allow companies to do or sign off on. Um, and the idea that you could agree to use something does not imply that there will ever be this charge. And then this type of charge gets added later and you're kind of stuck with it because you already made a thing that uses a thing seems highly problematic. And well, on, on top of that, yeah, go ahead. Yeah. My, 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 my last point on it and then yeah, open up the discussion because there's a lot more to this story yes. is uh, several key executives at the company dumped stock in the weeks leading up to this announcement, which also as a former attorney, my head is just like, what? How How did they do the things that are legally required to show that they're going to dump these vested shares? And they had to have known that this was coming. Like there, there's some shady business stuff happening. And this, I, I empathize for the developers dealing with this. This feels awful. It feels wrong. Uh, and right now, I hate it. <laughs> well, there's there's a lot of uh, outrage uh, in the developer community. This is this landed like a lead balloon. This this, this it has been uh, one of the biggest stories I think of the year, uh, and Unity doesn't seem to be backing down. And it's even more nefarious than you outlined, Christian, because uh, on top of whatever the sort of business deal side was. They used to have a clause in the EULA that said, if we ever change anything, you're building your games on our, on our platform, our uh, engine. We have this, uh, this level of trust between us. If we ever change anything, you are perfectly free to use a, a previous version of our engine and the EULA as it, was, as it stood at that time. So if you want to just make a game under the the agreement as you understand it, and then we change that agreement, we have the right to change that agreement, but you have the right to just use a previous version and stick with the, the agreement you had. Well, guess what? Back in April, they quietly removed that clause from the EULA. Clearly indicating... And, and at that time, they also put in uh, uh, some language that seemed to hint at a price change, price structuring change that was upcoming. Deleted stuff from their GitHub, the documentations about yes. the engine. and Like they knew this was going to go over poorly. They were preparing to just screw everybody. And there are developers who have been working for three, four, five years on a game it hasn't come out yet, and all of a sudden, every bit of their revenue structure, the, the pricing structure, the way that they've mapped out how their game is actually going to make money has to change, or they have to deal with a, a change that is going to go into effect immediately, but they haven't been planning for. They can't change to a different engine four or five years into the development process. It is really messy. It seems really hostile. To their primary customers, i.e., the people using their engine to develop games, and they, you know, there's a band of uh, a band of developers, uh, 19 strong as of our recording now, but I think it is growing, that have already vowed to delist uh, 
in-game advertising. This is mostly mobile developers, but some huge mobile developers who collectively are responsible for hundreds of games in the market, some very big profitable games. And they are delisting their their in-app sales, their in-app advertising to uh, cut revenue off from Unity, to which Unity responded, okay, we'll delist you and stop user acquisition uh, assistance that Unity provides. It, it's they're not backing down. They're not apologizing. They're not. They're this is something they're digging their heels in on, and it really feels like it is going to mess up a lot of mostly indie developers in a very small percentage of uh, of cases, but cases that are the people who you know are most at risk to lose everything from making a video game. These are not the people that are having huge margins. Three other quick background things that I've missed. One, um, number of downloads. Unity has said they're going to be the ones to determine it based yeah. on a proprietary engine. So people are like, how you've been tracking that already? How, how are you like, that seems a little nefarious. And it may, it may be confusing to folks hearing this for the first time to say, well, if you do- download the game, why can't they charge you 10 cents or 20 cents for that? Well, the problem is you can have lots of downloads that don't translate into monetization. You know, free-to-play games, games that have demos, you're downloading the engine. The en- the demo is built on the engine too. If you download a demo and play it, do you got to pay Unity for somebody that just sampled your game? Does it mean developers can't offer demos? Does it mean that developers who might be in communities that often face uh, a lot of discrimination are open to uh, these acts of protest from these groups where, you know, you've seen people review bomb scores on Steam. Now, what if they just organize efforts to download, install, and delete, rinse, repeat, to just try to screw these developers out of monies? It's so, it just seems so short-sighted. And I know I've interrupted you. You have another point, Christian. Sorry. Uh, Last, uh, Unity is also newly public. (laughs) Squeeze that stone, baby. And then they also came, the last one, and Danish, I... Really appreciate you hanging out because I, I imagine you have thoughts. Um, they they also said that to try to quell this, they said, well, don't worry. We're sure Nintendo, Microsoft, and Sony will cover these costs for you all. <laughs> and they're like, what? No? Like, oh, if you're on Game Pass, Microsoft will cover it. No problem. But no, like, we've talked to Microsoft. Here's that agreement. It's just yeah. BS into the wind. I'm waiting at this point. Honestly, I'm waiting for Unity to say, we're sorry. The excitement of Beetlejuice. We yeah. got carried away. I, mean, I don't think is, they're saying that. It doesn't seem like they're backing down from this. Uh, Danish, you are a developer. Um, I don't know if you've used Unity personally, but uh, what is your take on this mess? Uh, yeah, I, I haven't really used Unity. The only time I've used Unity is back when I got the uh, Oculus DK2 development kit and I, I made some Unity levels for VR because I think that was another really early... Uh, adopters kind of unity was a great plug-in to to vr stuff um i don't really have anything you guys like nothing i agree with everything you guys are saying it's it's just uh hard to even understand the logic behind this um i guess they claim that it's not affecting most people and this is just a vocal minority which does not sound true at all um so yeah it's just it's just bonkers and 
I mean, this is another large topic, but it reminds me of the sort of contorting into pretzels that a lot of industries are doing, like, you know, actors are on strike right now because of streamers. And it's it's that sort of mentality of like, well, screw everyone. We're going to do these terrible, unsustainable business practices and you guys are going to have to pay for it because of whatever reason. So, yeah, I don't really have much more to add. I agree. It's it's hard to even understand. It's one of the John things Ritello that- is the current CEO of Unity, and he's had some choice quotes that doesn't seem to appreciate devs over the years. A, a, a newer one, um, well, I think at Unity, he called developers some of the biggest, I can't say the word on this show, uh, idiots, and, and just does not seem to read the room. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah, my heart is out for folks that are, I don't know what you do. I don't know what you do if you're, I mean, some companies, some developers have straight up announced that we're sorry, we are going to respec our game. This We cannot ship in this. And they're three years into development. I just, I cannot imagine what this does. It's, and yeah. th- this is a, an example of the, uh, a potential of the crapification of things as they become ubiquitous. Something becomes so mainstream and so relied on that then, you know, if the only uh, show in town changes the rules, you don't have a lot of options. And so like this type of thing, it's, I think what is, is a reason to be a little fearful of the Microsoft Activision merger, um, to be a little cautious about mm. unreal being like, Hey, every, we've, we've now have this epic exclusivity. If you, you know, like yeah. all of these things, they can sound great, but this is a reminder that, that other shoe can drop. And when it does, it's, it's, um, it's devastating. And it's going to have an effect to the end user. I mean, this is, this is, you know, they're squeezing the developers, mostly developers, like we've mentioned, uh, with small budgets, indie teams, squeezing the little guys. Um, and, you know, it's going to result in, I think, like I said, fewer games having demos, fewer games. You know, we have this beautiful thing now where if you've got a Steam Deck, you can install it on your PC, you can install it on your Steam Deck, you can install it uh, anywhere, any additional PC. You bought it once, you get to install it multiple times on all these cool new devices. Guess what? Maybe that's going away. Maybe developers will will have to require you to pay extra if you want to ex- install it on other devices. It's, it's really hostile to... Uh, a. <laughs> The way that we expect games to work, the way developers have expected their revenues to work, and it is mystifying that they are being this hardline on something that it doesn't appear to me will result in that much more income for Unity. It just feels, I mean, obviously, they've got the numbers, so they clearly know, and this is important enough to them that they prepared for it since April, you know, but... You got to just, I, I don't understand why you don't just raise the the normal pricing structure, raise the price a little bit. People expect that. Yeah, people will grumble, but it's not this. Uh, this really just kind of changes the entire dynamic of how these games will work. And I, I don't know what the path forward for this. It, it, this seems. I expect lawsuits. I, yeah. I, I have to expect lawsuits and I half expect, again, I don't know the specifics, but. SEC looking into insider trading and, and pump mm. and dumps. And it, it just, well, that seems like a separate issue though, but yes, it, well, yeah. Other than that, you know, you're doing something uh, yeah. crappy. <laughs> um, yeah. 
they also are removing the uh, the the lowest priced tier of Unity, uh, the Unity Plus subscription, which was about four hundred dollars per year. Uh, that is going to go away uh, as of September twelfth. It went away, and uh, the lowest priced tier will be the uh, Unity Pro rate, which is two thousand per year. So four hundred to two thousand. That you know, not fun to swallow either. It just it, this is all very very heart disheartening to see. Uh, anyway, my story of the week. <laughs> I, that's, I mean, that is any other week. That is the story. Like that's just, it's a massive, massive impact on the industry. Uh, but we got, you know, we got a Sony state of play. We also got a Nintendo direct with a, uh, just too many games. <laughs> there were, to... Yeah, that's right. Um, tons of stuff. We got... Uh, where do I even start with this Nintendo Direct? <laughs> um, Mario versus Donkey Kong looks kind of cool. That's an old uh, GBA game that's getting a remake on Switch. I was excited for that. Uh, Super Mario RPG. I can't wait to play that again. I predicted that, I think, this year. Uh, it's happening. We got a deeper dive into the Princess Peach game, which looks really charming and different. Not That's at all awesome. what I was expecting. Yeah. Um, there's a new Contra game. <laughs> there's a there's an F Zero kind of. That's the that's that's the one for me. Uh, F Zero ninety nine. Yes, uh, I love F Zero. I've been obsessed with F Zero. I've played every single one. The Game Boy ones, the uh, the GameCube F Zero is one of the greatest games ever. ever. Made by uh-huh. he was the first, I think one of the first, uh, maybe the first Sega game that the Nintendo game that Sega developed, which mm. you know back in the day was just like mind blowing, and the way they did the story mode of all these characters and everything, it was so fun. And I, like many people, have been just waiting for a new F Zero, and I would hear these stories. I think Did You Know Gaming or someone will come out with some stories about like, oh yeah, this producer or whatever like had this whole pitch for a new F Zero, and it was looked awesome look at all these leaked documents it's like so great and then nintendo said no and it's just like heartbreaking so it's it's a little you know uh, mixed emotions that it's this not like a brand new f-zero but still like this looks so fun i loved all of the sort of 99 games that they're doing like tetris 99 mario 99 i think this is a great application of that and i love the kind of mini mechanics they have of just like jumping onto this like hover road above yeah. it to like go past things and like yeah, this whole death race style, kind of like all these cars. Like, yeah, it it was definitely the standout for me for the Nintendo Direct. Did you, are you glad that they're sticking with that, that look, that sort of classic F-Zero look, or would you have preferred them to update that in some way? I think it's great for this. Uh, yeah. I think, yeah, I, I really like it. It's a great nostalgia trip for this. Um, so I was happy to see it. It, 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 you know, it brought everything back. Um, and I think it works really well for this style. Cause I think that uh, when you have something with, I don't know. I, it's it would be like uh, the the idea that they're retrofitting to an old game. Same thing with Mario ninety nine. Like the fact that it's like Mario one one, but with like ninety nine Mario's. Like there's something that just feels like really cool and interesting by um, twisting something you're familiar with. So yeah. that that feeling I think is really cool. I just hope that this does well enough where they'll actually make a new F zero. We've been wanting that for years. I don't yeah. know what's what's taken them so long. I guess it may, they like, think it'll uh, like my two favorite Nintendo franchises, F Zero and Mario, or F Zero and uh, Metroid. You know, it's like, yeah, it's what are they doing, Nintendo? Come on, 
I uh, I was excited to see uh, one of my favorite games this year, Dave the Diver, is coming yes. to Switch. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited for that. More people get a p- chance to play it. And I thought there were some really cool uh, role-playing games in the mix here. Uh, Unicorn Overlord looked really cool to me. Um, and uh, uh, Saga Emerald Beyond looked cool. Like, there was some really sick-looking... Uh, the uh, uh, a Uden Chronicle. Uh, I thought they came with some awesome, you know, uh, JRPG goodness in this direct as well. But there's so much to talk about. Christian, what were some of your standouts? I think what surprised me the most was uh, Thousand Year Door also getting the updated treatment. So we yes. have, you know, two of the much clamored for uh, Super Mario or Mario RPGs getting brought forward onto Switch. And I don't think there was a year for Thousand Year Door, a, a released date given. So I'm not sure how close it will be to Super Mario RPG. But I think that's really interesting. And same with Luigi's Mansion 2 HD, kind of getting that that yeah. forward. I think the a big takeaway for me from this Nintendo Direct was... It, it reinforced Switch 2 rumors close, like the Switch 2 being close to me. Like there's a lot really? of updates, a lot of remakes, a lot of remasters. We have Super mm, Mario Wonder already coming, but a lot of this stuff that seems like they're talking about coming into this next you know, year or so, I'm sure I'm going to be buying and playing several of them. But there wasn't, and maybe they're just waiting for Wonder to come out before they put their next flagpole down and wave their next big release around. But a lot of this stuff seems like, you know, we have games coming, don't worry, but there's going to be something really big come March of next year mm. or something like that. But if you've listened to this podcast for any length of time, <laughs> you've known that Jeff and I have been saying that for probably <laughs> six years now. So, t- <laughs> yeah, I think, you know, I think these, you know, Mario RPG, Paper Mario, I think those are big. And man, doesn't Paper Mario look so good now? It, like the way the update to it, the crispness to it, that can that trailer, I was like, oh, I love how it looks. It just looks so delightful. Uh, but it is ironic to call your game uh, HD when it's like, is your even is your console HD? Is it though? Is it? Is it? <laughs> if you play docked mode, you know, maybe you get in. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> how many pieces uh, does it have? Seven twenty. I guess it is. I mean, technically, but technically. is it? Uh, <laughs> uh yeah i mean luigi's mansion 2 looked uh looked cute they, you know it, it did it did look crisper but you know certainly looks like an older game um yeah, the other game of the the show for me was war groove 2 yeah mm. another a game franchise i love is advanced wars and uh again it's nintendo they haven't made a new advanced but they did the rebooted version which i haven't played yet because I've, yeah. it's been so busy but um I've been really looking forward to that. And then now Wargrove 2, which I didn't know was even coming. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I actually was a little bit upset when I saw it because it's like, I can't, I can't play all these games, you know, it's too many. And it's, it's really bumming me out because I want to play all of them. Yeah. Um, but anyway, yeah, that was the other one that really stuck out to me. Yeah. And uh, war, speaking of war games, War Tales was oh, yeah. also announced. Uh, that's I've, a game I played a lot on Steam. I, it's really, really cool game. Really underappreciated, I think. Such a neat, neat game. And I think cool that it's coming to Switch as well. I I, I believe I actually bought that on Steam off your recommendation. I haven't played it yet. But it's yes, awesome. it sounds it sounds really It's really, really cool. Like, yeah, but you're right. There's just too much. Uh, a little more Prince of Persia. The Lost Crown was shown. 
Um, yeah, it's not you know nothing. That's not a new announcement, but uh, that was I love I love 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 what they're doing with that game. It looks so cool. Prince, I love Prince of Persia, the old two D ones. I'm glad it's going back to that and. So the new powers and stuff they're showing look really fun. So I'm literally yeah. looking forward to that. And uh, a couple of more uh, League of Legends story monikered games. Um, you know, we, we're getting a lot of uh, Riot expanding the characters from League of Legends and putting them in different genres of games. It makes me wish that I'd gotten into League of Legends because I wish I had this attachment to these characters because I feel like it would be so cool to be like, oh, cool, they got their own platformer they got their own you know action third person adventure game I, I would be all over it but i literally you know never got into league of legends and so don't know who any of these people are but i do love the fact that they're doing this with their characters i do I wonder I which way that funnel is designed to work because i feel like yeah. a lot of league players that would maybe get excited about this are still just playing league <laughs> you know it's like sure oh yeah. wow there are too many games and by that i mean the one game i play but man i'm excited <laughs> or is this meant to be the gateway for folks who haven't tried league that become enamored with the world and the characters and then you know want to go play this other game or are they just separate they don't need to be one in the same they don't need to try to bring people to one from the other but I, i'm not sure again riot probably has the data but i'm not sure how many folks that play league regularly are then looking to play these other genre games but i could be totally wrong i mean i don't think it even matters i just think it's neat you've got this stable of characters you know flesh them out turn them in i mean i think we all loved the uh league of legends uh animated series on netflix um arcane arcane, arcane yeah um and i just i think this is the perfect strategy for a company that has a game that's big like that that has tons of ip in it you know, in, make me invest in in them in different ways, and I think that it, it doesn't even really matter if if the you're you know aimed at specifically that audience or if it's just sort of got some Venn diagram overlap. Um, I, I think it's neat, and I applaud it. It makes me wish that I had um, closer ties to those characters. Anyway, um, so I mean, I, we're doing short shrift to the direct and to the state of play. Uh, I'm certain that a lot of people listening to this probably watched them, but if you didn't, I think, you know, I, I'm curious what specifically you guys who both have, uh, who both have daughters think of, um, Princess Peach, the, the game I, I clearly aimed at a, you know, at, at young girls, uh, not exclusively of course, but, um, what do you guys make of the Princess Peach gameplay that was shown? Cause we knew Princess Peach was getting her own game. We didn't really know how it was going to play until now. Danish, what'd you think? Yeah, I thought it looked really cool. I love the take that she is this swashbuckler and like kind of has this like, you know, fencing kind of moveset. And it's something I never would have thought about. And it's, I thought that's a really cool kind of fresh take. And I think it looks really fun. I don't think my kids have seen uh, it. Yet. I don't, they didn't watch the direct. And so they haven't seen it. So I don't know. I can't give you their impression. But um, yeah, I think it looks really cool. Yeah, I mean, I think that the idea here is that, you know, I guess Mario gets outfits and they're like a, a cat and uh uh, a bumblebee and and she's like oh i'm gonna be a swashbuckler and a chef and a detective and i'm awesome uh which i thought was awesome but yeah she gets these outfits like there's this sort of uh theatrical yeah. layer to it where she's saving the theater and so she has these different costumes to get into uh i thought it was very very clever looking and i like how just aesthetically it's kind of much more pushed in than we've ever seen a Mario mm -hmm. game, you know, she's sort of larger on the screen and 
it's it really is stepping away from just being, hey, we took Princess Peach from 2D Mario and, and gave her her own game. It really feels like they did something specific and unique uh, for her, right? which I, I think is is cool. But Christian, what did you t- think of it? I, I can't wait to get my hands on because I feel like I'm curious how all these different outfits play. You know, they're not yeah. straight up different genres per se, but it's leaning into changing. It looks like changing the gameplay style, depending on which part of the game you're in. And I think, you know, Nintendo has a great track record with doing stuff like that. Um, Kirby, the last Kirby game on Switch, I thought was awesome with each power and you'd have your, you know, you suck up the car and how that could fundamentally change the game. It looked silly and I think when we talked about it before we played it, it was like, oh, this looks like another Kirby game. But they really uh, changed the game and how those powers allowed Kirby to play differently. And I think this Princess Peach Showtime game shows the same potential to really show off some of the creativity of the folks over at Nintendo to introduce you to new gameplay mechanics while continuing to layer the old stuff, you know, underneath that new stuff that you're doing. And if they're able to pull it off and it is another version of, you know, what uh, Super Mario Odyssey did with that as well, where you throw your hat and capture somebody. They've played with this idea across um, IP now of kind of changing up who you are in your play style. And I think if this is another example of that done well, that's very exciting. They also also announced... Oh, sorry, go ahead. Just real quick, I want to touch on the... the that theatrical presentation, like the whole thing, sort of this play, mm-hmm. which they did for Super Mario Brothers 3. If you remember, the whole thing yes. was a stage play, which is so cool. And uh, I never thought they would go back to that. And so I, as soon as I saw that, I'm like, oh, my God, they're doing the Mario 3 stage play thing where everything has like if you take a look and this as a kid, I never really put it together. Obviously, the title screen is very much a stage play. The curtains come up and the yeah. curtains come out. But even like the first level uh, all the blocks have little like screws in them because they're sets, you know, and like it's something that you never really occurred to yeah. me as a kid. But it's just, yeah, it's a cool aesthetic, and I'm just, it's just so cool. They went back to it. That's a great pull. I uh, I didn't put that together. That's awesome. Um, they also announced I thought was pretty interesting a uh, the Nintendo Museum, which is going to be in Japan. Uh, I would love to visit it someday, but uh, it's it, it looked pretty wild. It's neat that they took time to be like, hey, we have this physical place you can go. And uh, check out, I don't know, stuff. The roof has a big question mark on it. I, I bet just based on, you know, the the merch and the theming they've done at Universal and the New York store and some of the storefronts they've done that yeah. have, you know, very tiny museum display pieces. I bet the Nintendo Museum is going to be incredible. And I think will be worth the trek for folks who don't live nearby. I, I, I can only imagine the stuff that they have in their vaults to, to put on display. And they've always been good about limited merch and stuff like that. I, I truly think it's going to be a destination type, uh, you know, museum exhibit versus here's that one thing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I will say that uh star Wars celebration is going to Japan in 2025. And so, <laughs> Hey, you're there two birds. Yeah. Oh, that's I'm jealous now. Um, all right, a couple of other stories I want to hit on before we leave the news segment. I know there's tons of stuff, but I think these would make our top three in any other week other than this one, which is just has massive, massive news happening. Um, I wanted to mention the fact that uh, Bethesda has announced uh, some upgrade paths for, uh, well, not upgrade, but but patch, their patch plan for Starfield and some of the features they're going to start implementing, adding to the game. And I mostly want to bring it up because it's like literally all of my complaints were addressed. <laughs> all the stuff, the litany of things 
that I talked about in our initial discussion of Starfield, it sounds like all of them are on the table. Uh, all my little nits, including 32.9 ultra, super ultra wide monitor support, which thank you. It makes me want to stop playing Starfield and just wait until this stuff comes. Uh, DLSS support for PC. <laughs> so excited about that. HDR calibration, uh, field of view sliders, an eat button for food. This was one of my big bugaboos was the fact that in previous Bethesda games, I didn't have to put stuff in my inventory uh, if it's if I saw it sitting there in the world, I could just consume it immediately and get those, you know, I'm not going to pick up something that gives me five health back and then go through the menus to eat it. I, I, I'll ignore it. That's what I've been doing. I'm just, I'm not even picking up that packet of salmon or whatever it is. But if I can just, if I'm a little low on health and I can just walk around going snarf, 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 eating it, eating it, <laughs> eating it, I'm going to do that. And it sounds like they're actually going to add that. Uh, improved driver support, and they even mentioned, admittedly, this is a little farther down the road, but they even mentioned they're working on city maps. Holy moly. Uh, They talked about mod support coming to the game. Anyway, I'm very excited because it sounds like all of my nits are, are being addressed. Who knows the timeline exactly and all that stuff, but it sounds like some of the things I'm most excited about are coming relatively soon. I will say just from like kind of a developer's perspective, uh, you know, just speaking generally, it's pretty rare when a game goes out and the developers are not aware of the shortcomings, you know, right. It's you are presented with so many uh, decisions of where to put your priorities before ship. You have uh, this so many months, you have so much time and money and you have not, nearly enough of it to cover all the things you want to do and so there's always a spreadsheet of these things of like okay well do we want this or that and it's like an impossible question and they have to make choices that they know you know it's the lesser of two evils and so things like this it doesn't surprise me that uh it's you know gonna come soon because there's no way they weren't aware of it which is the opposite of this show and yet 10 years whatever, eight years they've been working on this, nobody thought to draw up a city map? At, well, at I think point? the city, I mean, the city map stuff is interesting is because that is a huge undertaking. Like, yeah. in terms of creating uh, sort of down-resed maps, or there's many, many ways to do a city map. You can either bake it into a 2D image and you can do this. Like, city maps are hard. They're very hard to do. And if you the number of them that you have to do for it, like, it, it's just, you could have city maps or you can you know double the amount of planets like it's like something i'm not that's not probably accurate but you know what i'm saying so i i don't want to i think you might underestimate the amount of work it takes to do city maps in general so yes i understand but you know it's one of the concessions they decided to make you underestimate the amount that i care about how much work it takes for someone to make the thing i want you overestimate Uh, yeah, no, well, I, you know, and, and honestly, this is literally the thing that you have done in your career, uh, in the past is UI and that stuff. So you, you would, you would be an expert in this regard, but, and yet <laughs> I still go, no, exactly. It doesn't matter. You were working on this game that long. Make a map. Anyway, <laughs> uh, very excited to see their, uh, they have these things in their crosshairs and I can't wait for uh additional patches it, it literally I, I say i can't wait but i i feel like maybe i will wait 
I mean, literally just for 32.9 support. I mean, I... Right, because you don't want to exhaust the game before it comes out, right? Yes, I want to be in the world. Because the game is so small. Yes, I, I'm doing everything. You know me. I do all of it. <laughs> uh, the other thing I want to bring up, I know, Christian, uh, this one is uh, dear to you because you put a lot of time into Immortals of Avium. It's a game that I think you you lauded, uh, although with caveats. But it you know it is not. It was one of those games that is clearly uh, a victim of the too many game syndrome and falling between the cracks a bit. Um, we got news this week that uh, Ascendant Studios laid off nearly half of its staff following uh, a poor reception for Immortals of Avium. Uh, and you know, obviously, we see these layoffs happen all the time. It's never pleasant. It's always um, one of those things that we, you know, we send out our our good wishes to folks getting getting jobs and and having to deal with being laid off. Uh, but this one, I feel, I feel like might be a little more uh, have a little more a little different twinge for you, Christian, since you just played this game and we kind of all saw it coming a bit. Yeah, it's, I mean, it, it is always a real bummer. I think Immortals of Avium did a lot right, and I think Ascendant Studio showed a lot of promise for a new studio diving into the difficult AAA space. Uh, it, it's frustrating. It's hard. Um, my heart goes out to those folks. I think it also is a another reminder of uh, how the video game business is a brutal one. Part of the statement from the Ascendant CEO implied, at least to me, that this is kind of part of the natural cycle of making games. You know, after we've shipped this game, this is the bet in order to carry on the studio, we needed to right size. I'm paraphrasing, but we see this often. Games come out, they ship, and then a lot of the folks that helped crunch or build that game or get it across the finish line are no longer needed for the next spin up phase of the next game. And they're, you know, uh, let go. And I think that's problematic. I um, stand in solidarity with all of the workers striking right now. And I look forward to standing in solidarity with video game workers in the future when they also are able to strike. It won't fix all of the problems, but I, I hope that it will fix many. And this this is a bummer. Yeah, and this also comes like a month or less than a month after the closing of Me, Me, Me Studios, which is, we'll talk about shadow gambit later yeah. but uh, yeah, i know phenomenal oh, game and it's really really sad because they they make incredible games like shadow tactics and you know we always talk about too many games and it's always too many games in the sort of perspective of like well i want to play all these awesome games but like i don't know I, maybe we need a new jingle of like too many games to sustain economic prosperity in this industry <laughs> because like how can people even play capitalism this? sucks no so i don't know yeah oof you're right man it's it's heartbreaking um mortals of avm clearly not a inexpensive game to make um verge reporting that it was a very demanding game too that less than 9% of pcs on steam were qualified to run the game uh, so it, it was, you know, pushing the boundaries of what's possible, and that may have hurt it. Uh, and evidently, over the last 24 hours, it peaked at 74 concurrent players on Steam, which is just just brutal. I actually did buy it on PS5, so I, I haven't played it yet, but I, I definitely want to because I'm really interested. I think it looks really cool. So hopefully, you know, uh, it might get a second second chance if, if word spreads. Well, there you go. All the news we could possibly fit in, but we got games to talk about too. So let's get right to the playlist. 
Danish, I am very excited to talk to you today because I, both of you guys, have gotten hands-on with games that aren't out yet that I'm very excited to hear about. Uh, But let's start with you. You are somebody that used to be involved in the making of Mortal Kombat games, and now you got a chance to play Mortal Kombat 1 a little early. Yeah, well, so it's it's out for those that buy the bought the premium thing, which I did. I put money down. Uh, I did not was not given a free copy or anything. Um, so this is I can't you know I have to. Did you show them your hat? I know. Did exactly. you show them <laughs> your hat? I was yeah. Uh, so I have to caveat this a lot. So I did work on Mortal Kombat one for about eight months before I left to join Respawn. You know, uh, like about three years ago, and um, some of the stuff I. I did a lot of work on uh, certain things which uh, are in the game, and I'm I just I'm so happy the way it turned out. I worked on things that didn't make it up in the game, and so it, it just was a really interesting experience. So, like, you know, don't take this as this is a review of the game. This is more like this is weird for me, <laughs> you know, like that sort <laughs> yeah. of thing. Um, I saw my old girlfriend at the store, yeah. and she's doing great. <laughs> yeah, I'm so happy for her. She's still wearing the jacket I bought her. That's great, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, but I, I have to say I am very impressed with it. I think it is amazing. I'm so proud of the team. I'm so happy with how it turned out. It looks gorgeous. It's so fun to play. I think the story mode, I'm about four chapters in. I played for maybe a little over an hour or something. And I think it's one of the best story modes NetherRealm's ever done. I think the writing is amazing. And like, I, you know, I, this is difficult because I have, I've always had criticism, you know, no game is perfect and, and, even the games I've worked on, I'm, there's things I wish I didn't do or like, you know, mistakes and you learn from things. Um, one of the kind of criticisms I always had for some of the story modes is that uh, they are very lore heavy and it's very much sort of, re- you know, re- rewards people who are into the lore, but maybe potentially a little bit uh, hard to get into. I think, you know, uh, uh, the re- there's a reason it's called Mortal Kombat 1. It, it's a really cool refresh reboot. And I think that's evident in the story is when you play it, it's for the first time in a long time, like I think very welcoming to new players. You get great introductions to these characters. You kind of set a great fundamental like understanding of the lore and everything. It's just, it's very, very excellently done. The, the, I just love that first hour. And, and I think, you know, the, I can't wait to see kind of where it goes. I mean, I know where it goes, but I can't, <laughs> I can't wait to see how they kind of, uh, you know, uh, visualize it and stuff. Um, yeah. So that's great. Uh, the cameo system, I don't, you know, is really fun. It's it's ironic, um, and I'm, I I got to be true to myself. It's ironic because I did talk about on paid DLC how I really don't like long combos, <laughs> and <laughs> but I will say this: um, it's very fun to learn. Um, I am the kind of person who, like Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, anything, like I will just spend hours in practice mode because I really love breaking down a character learning the moves, learning which moves connect to which other moves and like figuring out the combos. Like I'm not the kind of person who looks up combo guides online because to me, the fun of the game is learning the game. It's like a puzzle almost of like figuring out what works. And so that's always been fun in fighting games. And I think this, the cameo system kind of like levels that up in, in, in an amazing way because all of a sudden the permutations explode into, you know, how huge they are. And so I was messing with, you know, reptile. I was like, oh, you know what? This there's this juggle. 
And if I had a character who could do this, oh, you know what? I think Sonia's cameo, she can like do this. And like, I, I go back and I load her up and then yes, oh, it works. And so it's just so incredibly fun mm. to learn those long combos and figure it out. Now, again, I have to be completely honest. When it comes to playing the game, there are high level players that can pull off insane combos that are very impressive. But my personal opinion is, me playing it, that makes the game less fun mm. because I am, well, I guess I'll put the controller down for 20 seconds. Like, right, right. It, so I, I kind of got, you know, again, got to stay true to myself, but I will say that it is very fun to learn. And I uh, overall, the system is really well done and, you know, potentially broken, but broken in a good way. Broken <laughs> yeah. in, in a way that's like, oh my God, I can't believe I thought of this and I can't believe I can do this, you know? Yeah, it feels like the, that adds this layer of creativity to it. Whereas before it was just, well, here are here are the things to learn. It's a skill seal, you know, it's a it's a skill bar that you can pass, mm-hmm. but it's not a necessarily a creativity bar where this feels like more of a mix and match, adding different elements. Which elements did you choose compared to the which elements did I choose? And I think that is the most exciting change to it because I can't think of another fighting game that kind of works quite like that. Yeah. Um it's there, there's been you know back in mk9 there were kind of like the, but it wasn't anything like this um mm. it, it, there was some assist stuff when you're tagging yeah. out actually that's a, that's an interesting point to make is that um most games that do stuff like this are tag based fighters and this is not this is a 1v1 fighter and right. these are purely assists and that actually changes the way you play the game so it it, it gives it a completely different flavor i think uh, a really unique one Wow, crazy that, uh, you know, Mortal Kombat 1 innovating and, and kind of coming out strong in a year that Street Fighter 6 did the same and won so many people over. I, I think even the, we, we talk about how hard it is going to be to award a game of the year or even a list of game of the year contenders narrowing it down to five for us is going to, I think is going to be brutal. But even just awarding like best fighting game of yeah. the year looks like it's going to be tough, you know? It's, is- you know, I played a ton of Street Fighter 6. I was a huge, huge fan of Street Fighter 6. I think they... What they did with the modern controls should be adopted by every game. I think it was genius. And it's really interesting to go back to this because uh, MK has always been a very sort of technical, not always, sorry. This, it it never used to, it didn't used to be, but it, it grew into a more technical game. In fact, it's kind of interesting that uh, the two games almost crossed, converged, and then now are in opposite directions. So if you think of like Mortal Kombat 2, versus Street Fighter Alpha 2 or something like that. Like Mortal Kombat didn't have a su- a power, you know, a super meter until MK9. And, you know, uh Street Fighter Alpha had that stuff. Like it there were mechanics that were much much more popular in one game and then Mortal Kombat started adopting it. And MK9 I think is where they kind of met in the middle a little bit. And then as time has gone on, MK has gotten sort of higher technical ceiling. And Street Fighter started to go in the other direction and start to, like, with this modern controls especially, been way more open and inviting. So it's just kind of interesting to see how their approaches have changed and they're, they're kind of doing different things. I will say I it was a little bit of a... It took me a little bit to get into the MK's kind of memorizing all the moves, mm. you know? And yeah. that's, I think, a little, unfortunately, a little bit of a hurdle. Um, whereas Street Fighter, it's you can, you can bypass the me- mechanical stuff and get straight to the meat of the mind games, which, you know, fighting games are execution and strategy, you know, and 
some people like one more than the other. Some people love the idea that you have to practice, 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 get that technical skill up. And then in the game, it's a mind game. And, you know, Street Fighter says, you know what? The mind game is more fun. And I actually kind of agree with that. And so I don't care about learning stuff. That's whatever. The mind game is where it's at. And so uh, obviously games have a balance. Games have some have more of one and less of the other, et cetera. Um, So it was it was an adjustment to get back to Mortal Kombat and, and have to learn dozens of moves and button commands and stuff like that but you know you get into it and that fun is still like again there is a fun to that technical learning and like i said the the going to practice mode and figuring that stuff out so yeah yeah it's just interesting there's a different ways to do it very cool i love it and i love that you know the fighting genre i feel like is completely revitalized at this point and really uh exciting so uh, and we got that you know that league of legends one coming i think it looks kind of neat has its own kind of uh take on uh doing tags and stuff uh really fun uh, all right. Uh, what else is on your playlist, Danish? Um, I started playing. Uh, okay. Well, I guess let's let's talk about the Texas Chainsaw Massacre because <laughs> okay. this game is a blast. So this is from the makers of the Friday the Thirteenth game, which kind of was a little bit of a phenomenon when it came out. It was very popular uh, streaming because it it was very fun. You know, a little janky. It was very silly. But it created these sort of uh, moments of of kind of emergent fun where uh, it put the whole premise of the game is that you have a team of killers and a team of victims and victims are trying to escape. The killers are trying to get them and stuff like that. Uh, I think Friday the 13th, it was it was one versus many. I think you were just Jason was the kid. But now in this yeah. game, it's it's more balanced. You have the family, Leatherface and the hitchhiker and the cook and like this, you know, creepy family and grandpa, which uh I'll get to grandpa in a second. Uh, <laughs> but, um, and then you have the victims trying to escape. Uh, this is much more of a sort of, it's still very silly. It's still kind of a, a very much an independent game. There are lots of seams, you know, it's not super polished, but all of it is very scrappy and charming in my opinion. Um, and I will say huge, huge props to this team for the authenticity of this game. I grew up an enormous fan of the Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It was my single favorite horror movie for a very long time, like all through college. I used to watch it so many times with many of my friends. We were obsessed with it. We went to conventions and met everyone from the cast. Wow. Down to the, the bus driver that saves Sally at the end. Like we met him and like all of this stuff. Like we were super fans. And so me and my friend were playing this game and just like totally nerding out over <laughs> everything. Like the opening crawl, which in the original movie was narrated by John Larroquette. And they got a guy to kind of do the John Larroquette style VO, you know, and all of the maps are so intricate. And they they went to the they went to the actual locations and took tons of reference photos. And they they added new characters to the the family of killers that aren't actually new characters. They were cut characters from the original script. Like that's how that's how like into this they were. And it all of that comes through. It's a it's an amazing love letter to the, the franchise into the movie. So I really appreciate that. I, I kind of wish they had more money to, to make this like really like a triple A title because it's it's so fun. But anyway, what so the game the way the game works is, like I said, you have the, if you're on the victim team, you have to escape. And again, like just like the Friday Thirteenth, but done to a bigger degree, they set up these little like rules. And the way the rules they force you to behave in a certain way that forces these interactions. So for a great example is. Um, you're trying to escape the basement into the house. Then you're trying to escape the house into the yard. And then you're trying to escape the yard into like civilization and escape out the road or whatever. Um, and so 
there's many ways you can do that. You can find lockpicks and then you can, you know, and the way you f- find lockpicks is you find like a toolbox and you're like rummaging through the toolbox. But if you rummage too fast, you'll make a lot of noise. If you rummage too slow, it's going to take longer. And it's everything's sort of, they're creeping around trying to find you. Um, and then you, when you're picking a lock, it's again, like speed versus noise and yeah. all of this stuff is, is building tension. And uh, even on the killer side, like, there's a great mechanic with Leatherface where if you uh, don't have your chainsaw on, they can't hear you coming. Like audio <laughs> is a, it's really well done. It's, it's a very key component. And not only just the actual audio that you listen to, but in the game, very much like Last of Us, where they visualize the audio that your character is making. Mm-hmm. So if you run through and like uh, a chicken, an area where there's like chickens in cages and the chickens start squawking, a big red like audio icon sort of shows up. And then now everyone can see that like through the walls as a UI element. Mm. So again, it kind of like feeds into the narrative of it and helps the game work that way. And so anyway, um, you're trying to not make noise and like uh, going back to the Leatherface thing. If, um, if I don't start the chainsaw and I can sneak around, that's a lot better. I can sneak up on people, but then I have to start the chainsaw and starting the <laughs> right. chainsaw is a mini game. And so if you screw it up, it takes longer and you got to start the, and that gives more time for people to run away. But if you're good at it, then you can start it right away. And, or you can just kind of keep it running and like revving up and it's like rumbling slowly, but you can hear people coming and And so it's just so fun. Like you're a victim and suddenly you hear like the chainsaw in the distance. You're like, Oh my God, someone's coming. And every time, anytime there is a, 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 vic, a, a killer coming near you, you get the sort of orange vignette on the screen telling you like, Oh, you know, kind of like you have, you're sensing someone in the room, like feel like someone's watching you and all of this stuff, like all these little rules they do are to build tension. And there's so many amazing, like emergent moments that happen where I was playing online with, uh, with our you know friend of the show, Dave Chen, we were playing this game and I was hiding in tall grass and he was leather face and he was like walking right by and like, Oh my God, is he going to see me? No. And he just walks right by me. And it's like, it's amazing. And then uh, the character I was playing, uh, the victim, everyone, there's classes, like there's different killers of different abilities, different victims have different abilities. The one that I was playing has ability to shove. So what it does is like you run over, you hit a button and you can shove them and kind of like knock them over and, you know, dis- disorient them to give you more time to run away. So that's why he like slowly walked past me. and like, All right, I see that's the way I got to go. I see my exit. All right run up to him like i don't know if this is the right idea shove him he's disoriented he's like what what and then i run and then he starts chasing me we're going down this long driveway to the exit and i can see the exit in front of me and i think i'm gonna make it i think i'm gonna make it and i didn't realize and there's lots of traps that either side can set and one of the traps is like sort of an electrified uh not a fence but sort of a, a platform right by the driveway exit and if the killers put a battery on and like power it up, they can electrify that. And uh, so I did not know that that was activated. So I'm running away from Leatherface. He's chasing me on this long highway, uh, you know, driveway. And I'm like, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it. And then I run right into this electrified platform and I get electrocuted, get blown back. And he chainsaws me in the stomach. And it was <laughs> so much fun. So I, I highly recommend this game. It's free on Xbox Game Pass. Um, so wow. it's, it's a little, you know, it's a little janky at times. It's, it's a very independent studio, but the love and care put into it, the authenticity of it, and also just these amazing emergent moments that happen. It was an absolute blast. The most fun you'll have getting chainsawed in the stomach. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> That's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. Uh, what else is on your playlist? 
right, I know. So there's a lot. I'll, I'll go through this a little bit more quickly. I'm playing Starfield. I'm really enjoying it. I'm only like uh, five hours in. So that's great. Um, I want to give out a shout out to Shadow Gambit. You know, like I mentioned so earlier, good. it's such an amazing game. You know, I we see everyone's talking about how amazing of a year of games this is, which is true. And it's a shame that this isn't on those lists when yeah. people are talking about this. This is absolutely one of my favorite games of the year. I think this is easily going to make my top five, maybe my top three games of the year. It's so much fun. So again, I, Jeff, you've already talked about this, but if, if people hadn't heard it, it's, you play as a team of ghost pirates with supernatural abilities. It's a real-time sort of strategy tactics game. Also, you can kind of pause time and, and assign moves and have it play out all at once, um, which is so fun to do. Um, it's kind of like a top down, you know, you're strategizing things, stealthy. It's just, it's so much fun. I would uh, just look up the kind of cinematic trailer or even the, the game launch trailer because I think it's actually a very, very well done piece of sort of media that shows what's so cool about the game. Uh, in a very fun way and shows off these really cool characters. Um, it is so much fun to play. I agree. I, I This game, is, it's such a shame that Me, Me, Me Studios, as you mentioned, uh, disbanded after. I feel like this is their masterpiece. Like this is their, they've been making these kinds of games for a long time. Uh, you know, Shadow Gambit is, uh, or no, um, what's the, Shadow Tactics was before this. Shadow Tactics, excuse me. Yes, Shadow Tactics, uh, a game that Dan Trachtenberg kept trying to get me to play. He bought it for me. He loved it so much. <laughs> He's got to play this, got to play this. I played it. I enjoyed it. I feel like this is the game that really took that concept to the next level and wrapped it in a really fun world that is quirky and yeah. funny and cool and it's so entertaining. Yeah. It's just, this is really their masterpiece. And then, it, and then it's their downfall too, because of this crazy year, but you're right. I think more people need to play shadow gambit. Um, it's fantastic. Uh, the last one, I'll just give a quick shout out to it's, I think it's still in early access, but it's coming out very soon is Dune spice wars. And this is also a strategy tactics game or it's more strategy, not really tactics. It's more close to like civilization and stuff. Um, <clears throat> real time strategy. Uh, so, you know, for those who have were around, uh, you know, a long time ago, Dune 2, I believe it was, I think it was Dune 2 was a real-time strategy game back in PC in the 90s that kind of blew the genre wide open. And it was sort of the precursor to StarCraft. It was kind of like, it, it was the example that everyone sort of kind of looked at for real-time strategy. And so when I saw that this was sort of announced, I thought, wow, that... That's some big shoes to fill. If you're if you're making a Dune real time strategy game, you have a lot of legacy to live up to, and I, I think it's very good. I, I'm really liking it. It's um, I don't really remember it being so. This game is very much um, an economic simulator, just as much as it is sort of a real time strategy game. And as I'm thinking about it, like I guess Civilization is that too. You have uh, government and you have politics and stuff. But um, for some, for whatever reason, um, this one stuck out to me as like, oh, wow, I'm, this is really about like economy. Like this is how much spice you're harvesting and, you know, how much you're going to save up to give to the empire, how much you're going to try to sell on the market to get gold or other resources. And um, there's so much like uh, resource management, like you can find, you know, you build wind farms that produce water or like you're, you're producing like factories that make your production a little bit easier. And so 
it's it is all the things you're doing but it's it's themed very very well it's very good looking game amazing graphic design great ui and uh i think the, the biggest draw of this game is that if you're a fan of dune it uses the property really really well and all of those things are just so juicy thematically like for example you know you have your ornithopter like sort of like helicopter thing and you can set it to go scout and it'll go kind of free roaming on its own to fight found find like spice deposits and find different like uh settlements and things and that's really cool but also uh, if you find a spice deposit you you want to go to that town and you can either like do di- diplomacy or you can you know annex it or you can attack it or whatever and then take it over and you have to take over that town to harvest any neighboring spice in that region and so you build a, a spice harvester and now that's doing the back and forth but what's cool about the ornithopter is like okay well if i wanted to keep scouting i can do that or i can assign it to the harvester and now i can have a better warning for worm sign if the worms are coming like the ornithopter spots it and i have a better time to like recall my harvester but if i don't do that i can still explore other regions with it but then i'm i have to react much faster to that harvester and so there's, there's little things like that that are so thematic to the game um you can play as the different houses they all play differently and so it's really really fun it's very crunchy it's a very like kind of meaty game if you like sort of that number crunching economic thing i think it's really really cool and uh like i said thematically just really well done that's dune spice wars and it is on danish's playlist Christian Spicer, you got some hands-on with one of our most anticipated games of the year, Marvel's Spider-Man 2. You get to talk about it now. I can. I'm actually going to bury that lead a little bit and go back to Starfield for a hot minute um, because I rolled rolled credits on, on Starfield, and I feel like... It has been a roller coaster of an emotional journey for me with that game. When we first talked about it, I was like, oh, there's some cool stuff here, but it starts slow. And then I got super into it and I was like, this is incredible. And now having rolled credits, I feel like I have this formed opinion that I will maybe wait until we do a spoiler cast, which maybe I'll need to recruit somebody else to jump in on as Jeff waits for 2025 (laughs) for city maps. before (laughs) Yeah. Um, And I, I think there are some definite flaws with that game as it exists right now. I think the ending is maybe one of the best for what it tries to do. I will not speak to it at all. Um, I saw it coming from, you know, several light years away, uh, uh, you know, several grab jumps away, I guess. But I still think very cool and how it's implemented and for the the genre, you know, an RPG RPG genre. Um it is a super interesting work, and I, I really want to dive into it and into the, the nitty-gritty of, I think, it's role-playing ultimately fails, but the moments that you have are some of the most exquisite. Um, so maybe I'll wait, or maybe I'll try to recruit somebody, Jeff, and we can, I, we oh, can do it. I, I will be right there with you. I, I mean, I, I'm curious if you you just sort of pushed through the main campaign to, to be able to roll credits, or uh, how make, much call of the... I was doing a bunch of other stuff, yeah. and then I got to the point where, as you know, folks that know me know that narrative will ultimately pull me in or push me away, and it pulled me in. I, I want, I, I thought I saw what was going to happen, and so I wanted to stay on that treadmill to see if it yeah. is what happened. Um, it, yeah, it's it's super interesting. I think as the rest of that game unfolds, and I think for folks who do spend more time exploring the universe. It might be more. I'm I'm curious if it's more or less rewarding because it 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 
forces you into some stuff that I'm curious if folks played in a different way, if they find that engaging or not, or, um, yeah, I, I'm very curious for some of like the 200 hour folks who then roll credits, how, what their feeling is. Like. Are you I'm not gonna, that far, but are you going to keep playing it? Are you going to do fact major, major factions? I mean, th- those are, I think main campaign level length quality twists and turns. I mean, I've done, uh, at least one of the major factions and, feel like it is it, it could be most games you know main campaign i i have kept playing and i will stay i really want to dive in and talk about like you know zoom in show the serial zoomed in for texture i'm not going to right now but i really want to i i think starfield could be a game that never shows you credits and i think right. might be better for it and i'd be fascinated what that game would look like if it just never it never rolled credits you know it just allowed you to keep it's called, being. it's called world of warcraft <laughs> <laughs> well that rolls credits after expand after you finish the last thing i mean i think literally like if you want to see the credits you have to go into options and click credits like i think <laughs> this game is able to do something that never tells you it's over right um and i think it's a lot of the game i mean yeah yes right but you know what i mean yeah. you know what i mean um, um yeah we, we so will definitely do that. a spoiler cast for starfield 100 yes. percent. we will yes. okay great well Plant, so talk plant about Spider Man. Uh, before I get to Spider Man, what I really um, Spider Man Two, I was invited by uh, Sony PlayStation and Somniac to check out the game early. Uh, I wrote about it when that embargo first went up over at my blog, which is christianspicer.com, and you can find the blog there. Uh, can I already have a favorite game of the year when it's not out yet? Like, can I? Yeah, can I do this? Clearly not any other contenders. So this one certainly. Needs to- I think I wrapped up my, you know, as I was allowed to write them thoughts as in a game in a year full of some of the best games ever. This is another one like to be at the top of it. So Marvel Spider-Man 2 is very much a sequel to Spider-Man and Miles Morales. It is God of War Ragnarok to 2018's God of War. You know, maybe Last of Us Part 2 to Last of Us. Uh, it's not reinventing the wheel. Uh, but I, no one's expecting it to do that. But my goodness, what this game does, it does better than almost any game out there. They have perfected this third-person action combat, you know, single-player storytelling, moving through this world in a world that is larger than you know any New York they've done before. There are set piece moments that some of which they've shown in trailers, but playing them, I think, rival some of the best cinematic set piece moments I've ever had in games. You know, up there with Uncharted 2, Uncharted 4 being dragged behind the truck. And I talked about, I think when they showed the trailer for it, I was a little concerned as to whether or not these moments would be engaging or if it's just kind of a quick time event brought to life on video. They're incredible what I was able to play. So I played about three to four hours of the game dropped in um, a few hours into the game already starting. Um, Peter already had the symbiote suit and miles was dealing with his own issues. Like the plot has already started in these moments and the way that they're still able to drop you into the world and have you doing you know, the, the main story missions, but then also into the side story content that's there for you to explore. A lot of that seems similar to what they did in Miles Morales, but the, some of the ones I did were are, are longer and more akin to some of the DLC for 
the first Spider-Man, where it's not the full black cat story per se, but there's more, it felt like there was more thread there to pull on. And then they've brought a lot of new mechanics to the table. In the first game, you had your gadgets that you were able to do, which I think was R1, and then your face buttons, and you have your little spider bot that comes out, and these things that you can do in, in combat. In Marvel Spider-Man 2, they, they have those, but they also have now what are called abilities, which are more, it seems like kind of superpower style things. So as Miles, it's a Venom Blast move. As Peter, when I was playing, it was a lot of like, venom powers different venom it's funny that miles is are called venom powers but it's not venom um but you know using the suit to explode out so that you have those in concert with your gadgets in concert with all of your basic combat abilities and they've also brought a parry mechanic into the game the first game you just had your dodge and very much that arkham style you know you get your spider sense you're able to dodge out of the way you keep this free-flowing combat going now they brought in a parry mechanic, which I think to tutorialize it is a required use sometimes. You know, a heavy enemy will come in, and instead of just you seeing your spider sense, their attack will trigger a color as well to let you know that you're probably not going to dodge out of this. If you're far enough away, sure, you can dodge, but you can't block it. You can't get around it. You need to parry it to most successfully counter it. And as a parry, you block it and you deal a stun damage to them. But it's not only used in those situations so you're also able to parry any other enemy if you're able to get the timing right but i think it's super interesting because it's not this required soulsborne style slow combat parry you're still able to do your dodge and move around but when someone comes in and you're able to hit that parry mechanic it allows you to be a little more aggressive in what you want those moments to be super super fun and they've tweaked the stealth mechanics some as well, where you can now shoot these web lines. So before you can think in the Arkham games and Spider-Man games, if you're trying to be super stealthy in an environment, you're kind of stuck going on the flying buttresses or support beams that exist in the world. And that kind of limits your navigation. Now you can shoot your own web across a structure that then allows you to bridge these gaps to maintain staying above people. There's limits, right? You can't shoot it into any part of geometry and create any line anywhere. But for the most part, I mean, when I was done with this with this one story campaign, you looked up and it was just covered in enemies that I had webbed up and, you know, flipped up up there. And it looked like I built an actual spider web. I was crossing my web lines wow. across That's themselves awesome. to rad. create new structures. Really, really fun and really cool. And we talked about the lock pick in Starfield being a very fun mini game. This didn't have, I didn't see, I imagine all of them, but the kind of mini games that I was doing in this felt fun and quick enough where they were that nice change of pace, but also weren't pulling me out for too long. It wasn't like, Oh, this is going to be a head scratcher. How long until I pull up the guide, you know, to solve this, or I raise my hand for me and have the PR rep come and help, (laughs) help me come over and do it. But it was fun. It was, it was again, a change of pace. And then going back to the set pieces were just, just mind blowing and how beautiful they looked. And because this is a PS5 exclusive, I have to guess. And Insomniac are tech wizards still to this day, I will die on the hill that they that was the best value in gaming when Sony bought them for what they bought them for. Um, the fast travel mechanic in this game is instantaneous as you'd expect from what you saw in Ratchet and Clank rift apart and what they were able to do, pulling things off the SSD and fast loading off the Ram. And now you come in just into your wingsuit, 
which is a new mechanic for the game. Both Peter and Miles have a have a wingsuit mechanic. So now you pull up an area on the map, you hit load, and you're not load, you hit fast travel, and you're there. I mean, instantly you are there, which is incredible. And I was hesitant about the wingsuit. I was like, well, swinging feels so awesome in Spider-Man and Miles Morales already. Why are you adding a new traversal mechanic to this? The short answer is because it's fun. Like the, it's <laughs> it's a little shaky, right? It's not like I point it A to B and I'm going to fly you're straight, not Superman. straight there. Right, you're not Superman. You, yeah. You're balancing and you're kind of riding currents. But yeah. for my playthrough, it really smoothed over those moments of like getting across Central Park where like otherwise you'd have to go right. really low yeah. or you're doing <laughs> yeah. your X to pull. So now I hit this moment, hit a wingsuit, you know, catch an airlift, do up, fly up into the air, get some elevation, zoom back down, then do my X pull. It just felt like you were always moving. Does it feel like the Arkham wing, you know, the Batman? It's faster. Yeah, it's faster. That that felt like, you know, very slow, catch a puff. Here you are never slowing down your momentum. And I think smartly, but very much video gaming it. If you're trying to go across a bridge or along a bridge, there are these air currents that you can just lock into. So you open up your wind, windsuit. You have to maintain, you know, it's almost uh, pilot wings-esque, right? Like you hit the little markers and you keep going. There's a lot of surefire fast travel, which you could just do, but you kind of zip along these currents so you don't fall into the water. Even though there is, you can like surf on the water for a little bit, like skim across the water, which Sunset Overdrive had kind of a similar mechanic in it. it I mean... It really feels like it's this legacy of these Insomniac games that they've been building to over the years. And it feels like uh, it comes together in a way that is unmatched by other developers. I, I can't wait to play it. I'm so excited. I mean, there's lots of other stuff to, to play right now, but man, it's it's looming on the horizon as, as a major, major excitement. 65 suits. I'm trying to think what else I missed. The build I played was apparently six weeks old. I did come across two. I had to reload checkpoints. Um, Let me ask you this. Uh, this notion of switching between Miles and Peter at any time. Oh, dude. Did you use that? How did that feel? Did you feel it was one of those things that they touted a lot in GTA five. And I like mostly ignored when I played it. I'm like, just tell me the p- character to play. I'll play that character. I'm not going to swap back and forth. Cause I'm doing my thing over here. I don't, I'm not constantly thinking, Oh, what's that other character doing over there? I'm doing my thing. So I'm wondering how big a deal it is. If it's actually additive, What's your take? Great question. I did not live swap my character. Um, I just was engaged in the game. I don't know if I could have in this in this demo, to be perfectly honest. Uh, I was playing the campaign missions and I was doing the story, the uh, free play through the city, which very much, it wasn't like separate demos, like here's the story, here's this. It was just playing these, these moments of the game. I didn't even look to do it. What I did do, which was awesome though, is as I was exploring the city, I would go to like a crime was happening, right? Like a bank robbery. And I'd whip down there and I'd take people out and Miles was already there. And he'd be like, oh, I, you know, I got this. <laughs> and it's That's like, I, I'm going to help you. And then you do like tag team moments that That's with rad. the you know, computer AI controller, but it made the world feel more alive um which was awesome they said they're going to launch the game i played only fidelity mode is available but they said it's going to be fidelity and performance 30 frames the 40 frame kind of sweet spot vrr if you have that uh on your monitor and the 60 frame per second i believe they said all three modes are going to have some level of ray tracing as well like the technical wizardry um the symbiote suit was cool and engage you know like 
Yeah, so I I can't answer they, your question about the live switching, but uh, I love the fact that you can swap in all the cool Spider-Man suits. But is the symbiote just over the top of the suit you're wearing, or how does that work? So I don't know if it was just for the demo. There was a moment where I put on this very cool pink tech camo suit for Peter because you know we we're three hours into the game, so we had unlocks happening, and I was playing with this suit, and I hit a moment where it this. And and I went and engaged in a narrative campaign, and I was in the symbiote suit. I couldn't you couldn't be switch out of it. Yeah, and I don't know if that's just I don't know if they're going to change that in the end game or not uh, for release because in the old games you could wear whatever suit you want with whatever power you want. Yeah, um, or if they're going to make you stick with. Well, I suspect that at a certain suit. point the symbiote goes away to, from Peter and onto Norman. Well, then I wonder if you can still wear that you know, that outfit or I do have, this was not revealed and I will not say it here. This was in no way revealed during my playtime, but I have a guess as to who Venom is. They haven't said, well, uh, I kind of want to say run- it's, just, it's the, it's the son, right? It's uh, not Norman. They haven't, Norman, they, they haven't said who Venom is. I want to write you a letter, Jeff. I want to mail you a letter. I have a guess. Oh, okay. I get it. So I want to like time, you know, I want to stamp it and send it. So um, I thought that was explicit be, at the end of the last game. Who's anyway? But I, I mean, remember. it's not. It's very much hinted at the okay. end of the last game. But it is. They have not said who Venom is. I have a question about the powers. So my one kind of concern is just uh, we've seen this before. Personally, in my opinion of like adding powers can potentially upset the perfect balance of existing powers. So for the perfect example to me was like Doom 2016 to Doom Eternal. Right, mm-hmm. Doom 2016 was just like this perfect ballet. And Doom Eternal, I thought, was great. I still still a fantastic game. And some of those powers were cool, but it almost seemed like, I don't know, it just it made it a little bit too much. And uh, you guys probably disagree, but I felt a little bit the same way from God of War to God of War Ragnarok. Mm. So just in terms of like extra powers, do you feel like it just fit naturally or did you use all of them? Like, what was that like? I, I hear you. I do feel like it fit naturally. The abilities felt additive and they didn't distract from away. I think it gives it gave me more or I could picture it in the full release giving me more to play for. There are all these that you can unlock that are cool that I kind of even in my three to four hours started to go to unlock just because I wanted to see them and they were uh, additive for my play style, but not for everybody. So some are a little more crowd control heavy and some are um more i'm going to attack this one brute so i'm going to focus on this one enemy and i'm able to do this and i feel like your players are going to be able to between their gadgets and their abilities focus on the ones that reinforce their play style and mechanically they're done so similarly one is r1 i believe and then your face button and the other is l1 and then your face buttons to pull them up that it doesn't feel like it's breaking your brain to know what to do so i feel like you're able to kind of create your play style and know that one of the shoulders and triangle is going to be your crowd control. This is going to be something different. And I like seeing them. I love seeing them in, I I kind of preferred the abilities to gadgets because my, my Spider-Man has never been the MCU Spider-Man that has a, I I know that modern comics has very gadget heavy Peter and Peter is this 40 year old scientist now who invents a lot of his own gadgets beyond just his web shooters. But abilities seem fun to me because it's like, Oh, this is the character kind of, stressing and doing the cool thing that that they would do so i love seeing them on screen but it did not it did not feel doom eternal to me of like too much of a good thing that's a criticism i I might level at jedi survivor actually you know how i feel about that i would disagree about it but uh, but yeah i i I totally feel that and i um 
man, I, I can't wait to get my hands on this. It, it really feels like it's going to be fun. And it's one of those rare games where the thing I'm most excited about is seeing what happens. Like the yeah. story. I think Same. that is and very rare to me that I'm excited to be told a, a tale in, in, you know, I often enjoy story in games as a sort of additive as a little extra spice on top of what I'm already enjoying. And this game certainly has mechanics that as Christian has outlined sound very fun as well, but I'm excited to see where the story goes. Cause they do such a great job of storytelling and it's, it's beautiful too. I mean, we talked about like avatar, not looking like avatar. It's, you know, not photorealism, but the the style that they've brought to life of this New York over these games. And Miles now grown up a little bit, too, and the evolution of that character. And there are moments when I'm playing. I had one moment in a boss fight where I had the controller down still because of like this really engaging cutscene, And I it's all in engine, right? So I didn't notice that like my camera had just it didn't even really shift. It's just like pivoted just a bit to be like now I'm playing and I was still watching because the boss was still talking to me and then they threw something at me and my character didn't move and i was like oh i'm this is me now i'm, I'm in the game <laughs> this is me <laughs> i have one one more question um so we had spider-man we had miles morales which is amazing and I, I love what they're doing and bringing them together uh do you do we know what the sp- sort of focus split is 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 this still like 60 40 miles is or sorry uh, peter's story or like do we have any indication of that uh, not that I was told. I don't yeah. know. I haven't gone out and read everything that other folks had longer interviews with people than I did. So I don't know if some of that was released. Yeah, but not that I know. I It feels very even, but I could see. But from what I played and what I was told, both have a very emotional story in this game. That's awesome. um, the, the symbiote seems widely implied from marketing. And while I don't know this, um, you know, Miles was in a bad spot at the end of Miles Morales also. I'll just put it that way for folks who maybe didn't play it. And even at, you know, yeah, Miles was put through the ringer, right, in Miles Morales. And so he's very motivated as well. And I would, I'd have to assume that both these characters get a narrative payoff. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, there you go. Marvel Spider-Man 2, something to look forward to. I do have one thing on my playlist I want to mention uh, it is an indie game that uh, I checked out. I picked it up for $5. It's on sale on Steam right now. I think 10% off. $5.39. It's a game called God of Weapons. And this is, you know, I, I love Vampire Survivor. I love the fact that we're getting Survivor likes now. That is this burgeoning subgenre that uh, Vampire Survivor has created uh, and I've talked about a number of them. This is one of the most interesting to me, and certainly one I have uh, spent way more time on than I thought I would. Uh, it is, it's very addictive. It's got roguelite elements. And it is based, it, it is an isometric uh, vampire survivor-like, where you're running around and you have uh, weapons that proc periodically, so you don't have to even trigger your attacks. You're just sort of running around. You've got a dash. You're trying to avoid enemies, collect the little bits of experience that they drop as you destroy them, and stay alive. Uh, this one has the motif of a tower that you are ascending uh, or descending, as the case may be, uh, level to level. So you have to kill enough things, destroy enough things, survive long enough to make it to the next level. The, the real innovation here is that between levels, as you as you progress, 
you have a completely different kind of game altogether. Because if you've played Vampire Survivor or any games like that, you know that as you level up, the leveling process is very much part of the game, and you select powers that layer on each one on upon the next, leveling up certain powers, getting more and more attacks to proc at given times, things shooting off from you, popping around, auras, all kinds of stuff. But you are adding these abilities on so that you get more and more potent, more and more uh, survivable, uh, and able to take down these massive hordes that come at ever-increasing numbers. Well, in God of Weapons, they are all weapons that you will equip, items that you will actually have to uh, hold on your character, and actually looks really cool. The, the game looks great, I think, and I did note as I was loading it up, uh, it's built on Unity. So I was like, man, I'm going to notice that much more now when I load these games. Built on Unity, it's it's really pretty. I mean, uh, Vampire Survivor certainly not known for its looks. It has a very retro uh, look, and a lot of these uh, Survivor-likes uh, rely on kind of, uh, you know, a retro aesthetic, which is not bad, but this one is awesome. It looks much more cartoonish. Uh, like I said, isometric perspective, really, really nice-looking game. And you have all of these weapons stacked on your back as you're running around, and they're flying off, you know, uh, knives shooting out. And you're just running. You know, it doesn't even animate the guy's hands using the weapons. The weapons themselves just shoot off the back. It looks really cool, I think. But the way that you layer these weapons onto yourself and what you are doing between levels of this tower is a sort of a Diablo, classic Diablo inventory management. If you recall in the, those old early Diablo games, you have a grid of space in your inventory and things that take up certain squares of space in that inventory. And you're kind of playing a, a version of Tetris to get stuff to fit together in that inventory so you can you know, fit everything in. Well, in God of Weapons, that is a full-on minigame because when you level up, what you're actually leveling up is, the, is acquiring additional squares of your inventory grid. So you'll get between a level and it'll say, you've leveled up, you get two new squares, but you don't get to decide exactly where those squares are. It randomizes available new squares for you to add. So you're like, oh, there's one over there. Okay, I want to get that one. Oh, and that one, I think, or you have sometimes three or four different squares, depending on how much XP you, you get during the level, you get more squares to acquire in your inventory. And then you have gold that you've also been acquiring to purchase uh, a variety of weapons that are available to you between levels and try to fit those weapons into your new grid. And the weapons themselves often have crazy shapes. So you'll have a sickle that'll have like, you know, three squares up and then two squares to the left or you'll have crazy scythes that'll be like you know the, this s shape of squares giant um hammers that are just really long amounts of squares so you're trying to fit in as much stuff maximize your 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 grid space and fit in as many weapons as you can because there's no limit to how many weapons you can have other than your inventory space and the more weapons you've got procking. So of course, the more powerful weapons are the ones that require more squares. It's a really clever idea. And I found myself spending 
way more time between levels than I thought in this little mini game of like, you're basically playing, you know, those old slide puzzles uh, where it's like there's one empty square and you've got to, you know, unscramble the, uh, the image that's on these squares as you're sliding, sliding, sliding. That's kind of how it is because you have the option. You can sell or delete items at any time. But if you're trying to fit something new in without losing anything, you have only the ability to set one item outside your inventory box at any given time. So you can pull an item out, but then if there isn't the correct shape of squares to put it back in, it won't let you put it back in. So you go, okay, well, I'm going to pull out this really big one and move some stuff around. Well, now I don't have the correct shape to put the big one back, so I can't pull anything else outside the box and hold on to that. So now I'm like, well, now I have to move everything around (laughs) to find more space, but also create the shape, the big shape I need. So it really is a mini game. And I've spent way more time between levels than I thought I would. Just, I know I have six squares of space. I can see six empty squares. I need to get them to be in the correct shape to fit this new thing in. I can move that over there, move that over there. Oh, no, that's not efficient. It's really fun. That's you have to have that particular kink, I think. I, because- I love that. I, I used to love, I love those sliding games. This is a deep pull, but uh, the Simpsons game for Nintendo had wow. the sliding puzzle mini games in it. And I got so, if there was a world championship of slidey puzzle games, uh, I'd be a contender. Because I got got so good at those that I could do it in like seconds. Uh, And so this is totally my jam. I I have a question that I think I might have missed when you said, but you you level up and you get more squares. But how do you actually get the weapons? Like, how do you get new weapons? You purchase them. Oh, you you have gold. But I, you know, I play this game a lot. I never felt like I was... Out. I had way more gold mm. to spend than space in my bag. So the right, limiter seems right. to be the bag space. Cause I could be like, Oh, I can get that super expensive. Yeah. Awesome. item, no problem. But I where am I going to put it? Right away. This is uh, this is totally my jam. Yeah. It's five bucks. And to be clear, I'm just kind of using the slidey puzzle as an example. There, you, there's no actual sliding right, of right. it. It's just, you know, the fitting of it together. But if well, you, then do, how like, do you actually reassign the squares then? Oh, that's straight. You don't reassign the squares. You the, the... take stuff out and put stuff in. You can move stuff around at any point, right. but you but but it won't let you put something in a place that won't fit. Right, got it. You can rotate things. You can yeah. do whatever you need. It's the Resident Evil. It... It's the Resident Evil briefcase. Yes, yeah, yeah, yes, yeah. I said Diablo, but Resident Evil is probably even a better pull. Um, but if you like the actual slidey slidey puzzles, you know what game has that is uh, Immortals: Phoenix Rising. I don't know if you. Oh yeah, that. I remember. I, I oh, yes. yeah. that that game, the the superior Breath of the Wild game. I yes, I agree. Thank you. Um, uh, God of Weapons, super fun. My my biggest critique of it, again, this is a $5 game, so it's hard to have big critiques. But my biggest critique of it is that one of the joys of Vampire Survivor and most of the Vampire Survivor likes that I have played is that there is sort of an element of, I won't call it exploration because that I think overstates it, but at least... Um, Bigger maps. Bigger, huge maps that you're like, oh, I have this goal. I'm going to go over here. If I can survive over there, I'm going to be rewarded because I'll get over there and there'll be a thing waiting for me, a cool chest or a big upgrade. 
And so I'm like trying, you know, I'm navigating these massive hordes, but I'm also kind of trying to get over this part of the map. And and you're also sort of kiting enemies around because yes. of the huge, yeah. God of Weapons takes a different approach. You are very constrained. It feels much more like Hades mm. or, you know, a, a classic roguelike in that sense of, of, of this very constrained space where you have to dodge and dash around to stay alive. And I don't think I like that as much. I'm like I said, I'm still having a blast with this game. I think it's super fun, but I do feel like the map itself being so small doesn't make it better. I think it would be, it would be way more fun if I was still running around these, a big map and hoping to get to a place and finding, you know, I assume that also probably limits the number of enemies on screen, which is another huge. I never, you never get to the massive, just overwhelming horde of, of vampire survivor. But a lot of enemies are on the screen, <laughs> right. and it, it gets really chaotic. It gets yeah. really wild, and there's a lot of you know stuff that Vampire Survivor doesn't really have, which is sort of like um, it, it does much more bullet hell stuff. And you know mm. there'll be enemies that like telegraph what they're about to do by having that paint that comes on the not paint, but you know like a a visual cue that comes yeah. on the ground, like oh well, I'm about to shoot a, a big line straight forward, and then you dash out of that, and then it'll go off. Um, more like a, more like a classic roguelite would have. Uh, like like a Hades. Yeah, so yeah. that's cool. It really is trying to hybrid those two styles and for the most part it's it works. It's fun. The look of it is awesome, you know, you feel very powerful and OP and then all of a sudden you'll get to a new level and it'll just get decimated. Mm-hmm. Um it's cool. A god of weapons. I I dig it. If you like Vampire Survivor, 5 bucks on Steam right now. Yeah, can't wait to play it. This sounds awesome. All right. Well, oh man, we barely fit everything in, but that's going to do it for this episode of DLC. We do have parting gifts coming up, so stick around for those. But Danish Syed, it's always awesome to talk to you. Thanks for being here. We appreciate yeah, it. Anytime. Can you uh, let people know uh, other ways you might they might keep up with you and the cool stuff that you do online? Um, I was not prepared for this. <laughs> oh, you don't. Well, have I, to. I, no, no. Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm on uh, formerly known as Twitter. At, at underscore Danish Syed. Uh, if you search Danish Syed on, on Blue Sky and Threads, you could probably find me. But, but yeah. All right. Well, yeah, don't bother him. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just get excited for the Bit Reactor game that's coming. Yes. I'm, I'm oh, my goodness. Uh, Christian Spicer, what about you? What do you got going on this week? Well, as I mentioned for Spider Man, I wrote up a thing that you can find on my website, which is christianspicer.com. I tend to do that when embargoes uh, come up. A few days before we're able to talk about it on this show. So um, there are a lot of games coming out here soon. So I typically will blog about them when those embargoes come up a few days before the show when we record them. So that's christianspicer.com. I am on threads, which is Christian underscore Spicer. This show is also on threads, which is DLC Hype Train. We're having fun over there. It was a fun, a, you know, a typical kind of social media shout out. But I was curious what folks that were following the show on there we're playing this weekend and representative of too many games and the incredible year that 2023 has been the answers were diverse reminded me of so many incredible games that are out <laughs> that came out this year um uh, yeah it's it's a fun little community that's growing over there uh and then the, our discord hop into our discord that's a fun place to be if you really want to get in touch with me that's probably the easiest way other than sending a direct email and you can always support the show at patreon.com slash DLC pod. Of course, we would never want anyone to support us if it puts you into uh, financial peril, but 
If you can support us, uh, cool perks, awesome stuff, and it really is the only way this show continues. Patreon.com slash DLC pod. Uh, you can follow me on socials. I'm at Jeff Kanata. Also, I have other shows for you to check out, including the film cast. We have Concerns, a comedy science show, and the uh, fan-controlled show over there talking about sports on fan-controlled sports and entertainment. Uh, everywhere you get podcasts, uh, you can get those shows. They're available. Uh, my YouTube page, which is uh, youtube.com slash Jeff, has the video version of the DLC Book Club every week. Lots of fun. People having a great time with us talking about books. Um, but the audio version is exclusive to patrons. Let's wrap the show up now with our parting gifts. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. Danish, do you have a suggestion to help people get through their week? Yeah, so uh, recently my wife got for my birthday the an arcade one-up set. Uh, it was obviously the Mortal Kombat-themed one. But... Um, I was really excited by this because I, for a long time, and I, Jeff, I think you had mentioned your interest in this as well, um, in getting sort of a MAME cabinet, um, arcade emulation where you can get like, you know, hundreds of games and stuff. And I've been doing a lot of research and it's very simple and straightforward relatively to uh, mod one of these arcade one-up units into something like that. And not only that, but if you kind of just search online, you know, YouTube it or Google it, like... There is an entire really thriving kind of modding community all around the one-up arcade units. And people are doing custom sort of uh, lighting and custom joysticks and uh, things like that. And so it's really fun. It's really cool. And it's it's honestly like easier than you might think. I, I, for, I, I have just, the components have just arrived. So I'm about to do it. I haven't done it yet. Um, so I'm really looking forward to it. I, I really think that if you can, assemble one of these then you can actually uh mod it as well it's, it's pretty cool so that's that's what i recommend people check that's so awesome and you were trying to talk me into doing it with you and i'm like I, I i don't i don't have any confidence in myself to do it <laughs> but i'm excited to see you go through the process because yeah. you are better at stuff like that than i am well let me let me break it down a little bit because it just to show you kind of it is not that difficult so all you really need is the raspberry pi which you just you can find the guides online how do you upload it and People have, it's so popular to do that people have really streamlined this process. So you get a Raspberry Pi and you can download this thing and it just like changes it into the main emulator. So that part's sort yeah. of done. Um, the only piece that's uh, extra is that you have to get a separate um, kind of module that lets you connect that Raspberry Pi to the screen. Because by, by default, it does not take HDMI. So you attach this little extra thing in between. And then uh, also you need to replace the joystick with a USB power joystick so it's really just like two or three components they all are kind of plug and play and so it's really not that bad so i, I still i still kind of think you should do it <laughs> <laughs> i'm tempted I, yeah. i'm genuinely i'm intimidated by the arts and crafts part the, the like attaching it to the thing and you know making well, sure it doesn't part, look like I, crap <laughs> i mean i get like again that it, the harder one is just assembling the arcade like if you could assemble right. the arcade unit then you can yeah. do that part all right well christian spicer what is your parting gift uh the morning show season three has begun i think uh the morning show started off as apple tv's first kind of one of their first big forays into premium 
television, I was going to say cable, but it's not, you know, premium streaming. I think that first season, you know, it took a while to find its footing. I think the second season was really strong. I think the way they dealt with COVID being a reality in the show for a show that's about the news was really interesting and unique. It didn't become the season, but they also didn't just hand wave it away. Um, I think there was some, it's a little hard to watch now, not because it's bad, but like, oh yeah, this is what people did of like, the characters saying things like it's a joke, it will be fine. And I remember that happening in life. I think they captured it really well. And I love Billy Crudup's work. And I think so far he continues to be amazing in this and in season three, and they're bringing in some new cast. So I think it's a, an easy show to recommend that starts good and only gets better. And I'm excited to see where season three goes. Very cool. That's the morning show. It's on Apple TV plus. Uh, my parting gift is uh, actually a uh, a gift that Danish gave me a while back. Uh, it's a book called The Anthropocene Reviewed by John Green. Oh, great podcast. Great podcast. Well, yeah, John Green and Hank Green, the brothers that do, uh, you know, they have a YouTube channel. They've been they've been stalwarts of the you know online scene for decades. Uh, yeah, they're great, awesome, brilliant guys. And turns out John Green, great writer as well. The Anthropocene Reviewed is a, a series of essays. I mentioned this on the DLC book club uh, a while back as well, but I'll, I'll reiterate it here. It's a series of, of essays um, that take this funny conceit of reviewing things that we don't normally review. Uh, the way the world has changed certain aspects of, of human life on our planet. The Anthropocene, of course, is the term that refers to uh, the t- the time period where human beings, the influence of human beings is the most um, prescriptive to how the earth uh, is doing. Uh, and it's, uh, it's clever, it's heartfelt, it's introspective. Uh, it'll make you reconsider or re- give you a new perspective on certain things that you take for granted. Within the first three pages, I was crying. <laughs> Just, it's beautifully written. And it, my thing, my favorite thing about it is that because it's a series of short essays, I was able to read it sort of in fits and starts and kind of, I would, it'd be a book I would bring to my kid's soccer game or something when, you know, the coach is talking to him and there's nothing to look at. I could just read a couple pages and it didn't feel like I needed to invest myself in a fictional world, you know, and kind of imagine it was just really quick and fun. I could take it to the pool this summer and read a couple chapters. Um, so it's great. I highly recommend the Anthropocene reviewed by John Green. Uh, one more know, thought, thought, sorry, go ahead. Are these new or are these the essays that he just performed on, on the show? They, or are, are they... they are the same essays. I think there might be some new ones, but there, there is a lot of overlap too. So if you've listened to okay. so it, it did start as a podcast and then uh, he was writing each episode and now there's a, this book. Um, one oh, more thing I'll, I'll say about the book though, is that like Jeff said, this, it's reviewing things like the review of winter or review yeah. of Mario Kart or whatever it is, like all huge range of topics. But what's very cool about it is that, it's a review of it, but it's always a, a way into a larger theme, uh, just about life, but also about his life and his experiences. And so they are very discreet, short things, but in collective, they do paint a picture of, of his experiences. And it's just, it's really, really well done. And it's like one of my favorite books. Yeah, it's, is fantastic. Highly recommended. Easy to recommend. Uh, all right. We also got a listener suggested parting gift. This comes to us from John. Uh, who sent it to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. John writes, my parting gift is the second season of I Am Groot, 
the shorts on Disney Plus that were released this last week. I may be biased as I've worked on these shorts as part of my role at Marvel Studios, but all my friends' kids love them. The showrunner was the animation director of the film Marcel with Shoes On, which, side note, is adorable. Amazing. Love that movie. It's beautiful. Uh, As well as the director of Adventure Time, uh, or a director for Adventure Time. Uh, If you have younger kids, then turn them on as a fun little break in the day, and I think that they will love them. Kindest regards, John. Uh, have you guys watched these? They're great. They're really no, good. No, I really want to. Yeah, I, it's on my list. Yeah, yeah. They are uh, Groot. Actually, they are Jeff, Groot. I think you, you said they're um, great. Yeah, they're great. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I I really appreciate the fact that Disney Plus is is experimenting with these like super ultra short form things, uh, and and kind of abandoning all the old prerequisites of what a time for us something was. You know, I guess I guess there's always been little cartoons, but um, it's just awesome to have you know super short form stuff that you can, you know, you could like, okay, we can watch one thing before bed and it's going to be six minutes or four minutes. You know, it's like, it's great. Anyway, I'm Groot. Um, uh, these shorts uh, are, are really delightfully well animated and uh, super fun. And uh, thank you, John. And congratulations on being part of making them because I think they're great. Um, all right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. If you'd like to have your parting gift right on the show, send it to us. DLC feedback at gmail.com. Uh, I want to thank Danish Syed and Christian Spicer for hanging out with me. I want to thank our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star for those fun bumpers. Our theme song was composed by White Cube, which is Jason Sherry and T. Ryan Arnold. Our biggest thanks are reserved, however, for our patrons who financially support us, make this show possible. We are indebted to you. We are grateful. Our top-tier patrons, the hype train-level patrons, Get their names read out at the end of every episode, which I'm going to do right now. It's time to thank our hype train patrons. Patrons like Jason Novak, Octavian Ratzio, Taylor Wigert, and Christian Bravery. Josh Peak, Peter Olberg, Jad, and Nick Strauss-Klein, Michael Stadler, Michael Buck, Jackson, Mike Lombardo, Travis, the Spice Man Silencer, the Soren Silk. Albert of the Stuff and Junk Show podcast, and Yick, Jonathan Spiceman Forever Schlepfer, Zachary White, Stugas, Nate, Jenny, Kevin Brazel, Ben, Scott Hughes, Dan Palmino. Malcolm King, Jimmy Radcliffe, Mark Gowland, Jonathan Putney, Mitchell Ness, and Will with one L Harris, Jeff Luxack, Chris Zacharias, Matt Bradley, Jonathan Talbert, 
Victor Valenzuela, Scooby Diesel, Cheesy Bob, Adam Denby, Hank Patton, Sasan, Rob Rickman, Dan Flanagan, and Riley Knox, Anthony Goulas, Kyle Starr, Andy Joyce, Michael S., Relentless Rex, John Sisko, Curtis from Louisville, the comedian Aaron Trahan, David Epp, Shoryuken, Hyperboy 66, Scott Lambert, Brian Jordan, Joe DeFrank, Kevin Ede, and Stephen T. Seifert, Rob Wonder Rob Dominguez, Tyler Buckwild Road, Dwayne T. Robinson, of course, we appreciate all our patrons, but our hype train makes this show possible, and we are grateful for our hype train patrons. Thank you, one and all, for your support. All right. Thanks again for listening. We'll see you next week. Until then, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place.